The Ringerverse is the best nerd culture podcast. You know how I know that? The Star Wars official Twitter account just shouted it out. They've been breaking down Andor twice a week with the House of Our Show and with the Midnight Boys. Instant reactions from them. 12 episodes are in the books and you can listen to all of them on the excellent Ringerverse podcast. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. Earn up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase every day. Then grow it at 4.50% annual percentage yield. When you open a savings account with Apple Card, visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card, subject to credit approval, savings available to Apple Card owners, subject to eligibility, savings accounts, provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA. Member FDIC, terms apply. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network where you can find, I mean, we are, this is our time of the year. Not only do we have football, not only do we have the NBA, not only do we have the World Cup in full motion right now and all the pop culture stuff going on, we also have food on the Ringer Gambling Show. Joe House, and Warren Sharp, and Austin Gale did their annual pie episode. Uh, tried to tie in some pies and some bets. We had the Prestige TV podcast where me and Joanna Robinson and Miley Rubin are breaking down episode five and episode four, too, of White Lotus. We already taped it, so I know it happened. It is going to be Sunday night right after White Lotus airs. And then I think my daughter is popping on that feed as well because we are doing Sex Lives of College Girls every Thursday with Jody Walker and Julia Lippman. So they brought in my daughter who's going to college next year um, as a little uh, college expert. But that is a really good show. This whole Simmons family enjoys that show. It's a little body, but uh, enjoy the show. Um, speaking of my daughter, uh, I was together with my kids and cousin Sal's kids. And I put up on my Instagram a picture of all of them. Parent Corner 2022. So if you want to go check that out, go check out my Instagram. You should follow me on Instagram. Who knows what's going to happen with Twitter. Coming up on this podcast, Ben Solak from The Ringer, figuring out some Thanksgiving picks as well as who is the best NFC team and a couple other items. So that's first. Peter Schrager, we're trying to nail the million dollar picks this week. We have one team that we really, really, really love we created an ugly tree parlay and uh, and I actually feel very optimistic about this week. It is very hard to make the picks on Wednesday. The Jets helped us out. We talked about them as well. They finally changed quarterbacks to it in time for us to get a, a bet down on them. And then last but not least, Mike Berbiglia, who has never been on this podcast before, the king of the one-man show. He has one right now. It's called The Old Man in the Pool. It's on Broadway. It is excellent. And we talked about that and a whole bunch of other things. So this is a long podcast, but you know, putting this up on a Wednesday night and it's got to have a tail for four days. So I want to give you a lot of content. Hope you enjoy it. Hope you enjoy it. Thanksgiving as well. Uh, let's bring in our friends from Pearl Jam. Hey, 
All right, big Thanksgiving tomorrow. Ben Solak is here. We're going to hit the three Thanksgiving games and try to figure out if there are any angles for us. Before we do that, though, there's some Niners buzz that now that we are rounding into the end of November, this has been the team all along. This is the one. This is the most complete team. You have Philly, your Eagles declining a tiny bit. Dallas, they looked great last week, but now they're going to this Giants game. There's illnesses and injuries on both sides everywhere. Um, the Chiefs, Mahomes, you know, um, still Mahomes, but they're eking these games out. They're not exactly dominant, whereas it feels like the Niners' eight-plus game is better than anyone's eight-plus game, at least through the first 11 weeks. We're, from a ceiling standpoint, who do you think is the best team? NFC exclusive? You can go either conference. Ceiling standpoint, Chiefs are the best team. That, 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 that Chargers game was a good reminder that there's the elite quarterbacks and then there's Patrick Mahomes. It's not Patrick Mahomes among the elite quarterbacks. It's the elites. And then one more step up, you go and you get Patrick and the certainty that you get with him late in the game. So I think that, that ceiling always will belong to the Chiefs. Okay. In the, N- yeah. in the NFC specifically, it's extremely tough. I think we've seen the ceiling of this Eagles team, and it's a very, very good Eagles team. I think we're currently watching the ceiling of the Niners team, and I think Dallas is still getting there, right? Dallas is expecting Tyron Smith to come back this season and then be able to kick their excellent left tackle, rookie player Tyler, uh, Tyler Smith, into guard. And like that bringing another step up to this offensive line could pay off huge dividends. They really haven't had all of their weapons healthy at the same time. I think the highest ceiling belongs to the... Cowboys, because I, I, the, the, the pass rush for both San Francisco and for Dallas is dominant. At, at any time in any game, Dallas's defensive line and San Francisco's defensive line, when they're fully healthy, can decide, like, hey, you're just not moving the ball. For four quarters, these are the two lines in the league right now that I trust to just win for 60 minutes. Dallas is a little bit better of a quarterback and I think a little bit better of a passing attack. Though it is worth noting, for as much as we know about Jimmy, and what he is and what he isn't, what he can and he can't do, he has done more, like, out of structure, creating on his own, getting out of the pocket, that 33 touchdown to George Kittle, man. Like, I was positive that was a pick. I, I've seen this play mm. too many times. I know this is a pick, and it wasn't. So Jimmy has elevated a teeny bit. He's better, I think, now than he like, was in that 2019 season. But ceiling-wise, I think I still in the NFC give the, uh, give the ticket to Dallas. All right, so... After those three, it drops off massively. Like, even if you go to FanDuel, Eagles plus 220 to win the NFC, Niners plus 340, and then the Cowboys plus 460, then it drops. Niners, I would say the thing that would make me nervous is the injury factor. Just their best three skill position guys, I don't trust that they're going to be there eight weeks from now. None of them. The hits that Debo takes, McCaffrey's history, Kittle's history, I just don't trust it. And then you throw in the Trent Williams piece too, where... It, it yeah. always seems like he's got something going on. So that's what makes me nervous about them. Plus the Shanahan piece of how many times can you just look awesome for two and a half quarters? And then as we get to yeah. the fourth quarter, things start shifting. Dallas, the power thing that they tapped into, which is so funny because how many how many podcast topics at the ringer were about Tony Pollard on the fantasy <laughs> show? Fantasy and ringer NFL? Oh my God. The table. Just wondering when the day would come. And he's just this dominant, can be out there all the time running back. And then you throw in Smith coming back at left tackle. Prescott looked pretty good last week. I think he's probably like a slightly better version of Jimmy G at this point, unless there's some level that I don't see. But um, there's some upside with them. And then your team feels a little bit like the rabbit team this year. 
Why won't right. they be the rabbit team? The, oh God, they were so good those first eight weeks. What happened? I'm not going to say it's that bad, but what would give you encouragement that they actually have a level to go up from here? The offensive coaching staff uh, changing and bringing some counters to the table. When you watch that Colts film, the most concerning thing, offense or defense, you know, oh, like, uh, Dallas Goddard's injured. How are they going to replace him? Jordan Davis, you know, whatever. They got some, you know, big runs, yada, yada. The most concerning thing is that the Colts secondary knew what was coming, right? The Eagles passing game menu is very simple. They, they get a lot of window dressing and they get motion and they get play action and they run different screens to different players and what have you. But they run as few concepts in the passing game as any team in the league does. It's not an indictment on Jalen Hurts. It's partially because of who Hurts is as a passer. It's also just that's all their passing offense is needed. You just play the hits. Why not? You can run a very simple offense, and it works because you're so variable in the running game. Well, against these Colts, where you can't run the football as easily against Grover Stewart, DeForest Buckner, this great interior the Colts have, the Eagles are running flood and RPO to the flat and they're running their all, you know, sticks run to the sticks and turn around. They're all curls concept. And like Indy's corners are just sitting and waiting. They they we've seen the film now. So this offensive coaching staff and, and, and they started to change a little bit, right? They involved a lot more quarterback run, true quarterback run this game against the Colts than they had in season in games previous. They are responsible for changing some stuff on this offense. It, it we, this offense is most analogous to like that 2018, 2019, Ravens offense, that 2020 Cardinals offense, right? Where like that you're running the ball out of shotgun, you're running read option, you have all these RPOs. And if you look at those offenses early in the seasons, they were unstoppable. And then you started to get to November and into December, some good defense coordinator figured out something, right? This works. The Colts were like, you know, blitzing the running back side and making sure they had extra bodies for read option. You know, DC start to figure out what the tendencies are. And this starts to crumble. This, this These sorts of offenses tend to have a low half-life. So it's very incumbent on Shane Steichen and Nick Sirianni, who don't have backgrounds in this offense, right? Have kind of like, you know, grafted in this quarterback run, this shotgun run idea to now access more of their West Coast backgrounds, find a way to make this passing game more diverse such that corners can't cheat as much. And then this offense will hit its second stage. So offensive coaching staff, investment, development, and counters. That's what you got to see. The other thing they were doing was they just kind of hung around and let Hurts give him five, six, seven seconds in the pocket trying to decide what to do. Mm-hmm. It was very yeah. frustrating to watch as somebody who had the Eagles in a pretty big yeah. tease. Like I, I was like, why can't he figure this out? He's got seven, eight, mm-hmm. nine seconds and he still can't find anybody. Yeah. Hertz likes to see it and then rip it, right? Hertz very yeah. much. I would like to see it be open, see the window and then throw it. He's not, he doesn't like to throw with anticipation. Sometimes he has these like great anticipation throws and you're like, all right, do that all the time, man. And he just doesn't like to. One of the things the Colts did very well is they knew in their rush plan, like, how are you going to get after the quarterback? This guy will create pressure for you. Like, Hurts in the pocket, like, he'll go first read, second read. Once it's not there, he'll start to move. Head down, eyes down, relocate, get outside the pocket. He's a scrambler. It's what he likes to do. So they didn't say, you know, get after him, you know, put pressure on the quarterback, push the pocket. They, they would, kept him in front of them. Yeah, they would, exactly, rush to disorient, rush to make him uncomfortable, and then let him break, let him go. Yeah. They ran a lot of a cover one man with a spy. And, and that works well, when you're positive, you can play cover one, which a lot of teams can't play cover one against the Eagles. A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard when he was healthy. It's hard to play cover one against the Eagles. But those corners knew what was coming. And they're just kind of sitting on routes and they're expecting the, the deep comebacks and they're expecting the, the three-level flood and everything the Eagles run so well. So hmm. if the Eagles get more variable in the passing game, you're not going to be as bold playing straight cover one. You're going to lose that spy player. And now that Jalen Hurts, hey, just let him stand back there and cause his own problems. That, that strategy starts to fall apart a little bit. 
Well, we have a week here that if we really trust the Niners, Eagles, and uh, and Cowboys to be head over heels over everybody or head head and shoulders above everybody else in the NFC. I mean, they do have three team teases we can do, right? Mm -hmm. The Niners are nine and a half at home against the Saints. The Cowboys are playing on Thursday against the Giants. They're minus 10. And the Eagles are minus seven against the Packers. I guess that wouldn't make as much sense to throw them in a three-teamer. But there's money line stuff you could do. Mm -hmm. I looked at that Eagles-Packers game because I was trying to find somebody to tease the Jets with because I'm convinced like they're going to ride with Mike White this week just because he's not Zach Wilson. Oh, yeah? You like it? I do. And the Packers piece of it, even though they looked like dog shit last week, something held me back. And mm -hmm. I don't want to bet on the Packers either, but something about that game, it just feels like a stay away all the way around. I, I just kind of want to see it. I don't know. Are the Packers dead? Are they alive? Mm -hmm. Was that Rogers Thursday night game an aberration? Is that who he's going to be the rest of the way? And then with the Eagles, they were so bad in that Colts game yeah. and really should have lost. I mean, they really should have. Mm -hmm. And they didn't. But now I don't know what to think of them either. Yeah. So 50 I, I think it's DPI a stay away. Cures, cures a lot of ills in a bad oh game. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. It's a big play right there. The um the reason that game feels sketchy is because two weeks ago the Packers beat the Cowboys. And that's the nature of this season, right? Is that yeah. the head and shoulders teams aren't doing the 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 head and shoulders business the way that we're accustomed to seeing, right? The uh especially in the NFC where like everybody's one loss, everybody's two loss, everybody's three loss. It's so congested at the top in terms of records. Previously, we were like, okay, well, the Vikings are kind of posers. The Giants are kind of posers, whatever. Now it's okay. If you just get a little bit lucky, you're winning your division. The, 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 the number one seed is still very much in contention in the NFC, right? So there's a lot of pressure on a lot of these games. So I'm, I'm at a point where, you know, big favorites this year have not performed as expected, both against the spread and against the money line. And they're, they're tricky teams to trust. I do love the Chiefs against Bryce Perkins and these horrible, terrible Los Angeles Rams. Yeah. So I'm talking out the both sides of my mouth a little bit. But that's the scary thing about the NFC is we've seen games like the Packers beating the Cowboys. And we know that there's some untrustworthiness even among these top guys. Yeah, it seems like Chiefs, Rams, Chiefs are up to 15 and a half. When Sal and I did against yeah. the Lions, I think it was like 11. So they're just, people are just pounding the Chiefs. And then the other one is that Dolphins-Titans game. The Titans made, I mean, yeah. a Texans game. The Texans made a QB change this week. The one and only Kyle Allen is with us. 24 TDs, 17 picks, career. I was surprised. Let's go like, that's Kyle. not bad. That's basically mm -hmm. Mac Jones's career. Um, but yeah, the Miami and Chiefs combo, hard to imagine them just not yeah. rolling over those teams. And the Rams might be the worst team in the league now other than the Texans. The Rams, in my opinion, once they lost Cup, became the worst team in the league. They can't do anything on either side of the ball. I, I had every Rams under, under the sun against the Saints. And all of the props hit. And the only one that didn't hit was the freaking team total because Tutu Atwell made the first play of his entire NFL career <laughs> on the one day I fade every offensive piece of the round. It drove me insane. That Dolphins-Texans game, however, I love as a big position for Dolphins to score a lot of points. Uh, this Dolphins team, when they got to a back, even when they were still in like the Teddy Skyler Thompson era, very quietly underneath all of the passing game that was working so well, they've been doing a lot of experimentation with the running game changing the backs, changing the, the concepts that they use, trying to figure out how to make sure their, their running game is sufficient for an eventual playoff run. Well, with Jeff Wilson in the building, and I know they played Cleveland and everybody can run against Cleveland, they've had good rushing performances, solid rushing performances over the last couple of weeks. I agree now with you. And Mostert's a good backup too. Yeah. I think both and, of those guys now, are solid. Right. And so against Houston now, which is a, a too high team, a light box team, 
the Dolphins have the opportunity to go ahead early with an explosive passing attack and then retain scoring potential if they elect to run the football and kind of sit on the clock in a blowout position. So I like the Dolphins a lot, uh, team totals and against the spread, because it's either they're going ahead early and then maintaining because they can run the ball, or even if they are in a position where they're not winning by as much as expected and it's kind of close at halftime, we've seen this offense just rip people apart in the fourth quarter. So like the Dolphins, again, I said the big, big, uh, big favorites, got to be sketchy around these. And then lo and behold, I, I love the Chiefs and I love the Dolphins this week. Dolphins, I think it's 30 and a half is they're over for total points this yep. week. I was looking at it too because it does feel like they're going to have a few games their offense is so good where they just do a little flexing. Mm-hmm. Pull a little body butter on. Get Tyreek deep. Oh, Waddle, you want one? Oh, man, Gusecki's kind of been bummed out. He's only three. Let's get him. Let's let him right. cook for Where's a couple Where's River downs. Craycraft? He hasn't gotten yeah. touchdown since week three. Let's get him moving. Let's, let's get some more body right. butter. Let's try to get 40 points. I do feel like, because they have... The thing that worried me about this game with them is there's there's some look-ahead potential with them. They're at San Francisco a week from now, mm-hmm. at the Chargers, which will basically be a home game for them. I don't know if there's 40,000 Miami Dolphins fans in LA, but we're about to find out. And then they're at Buffalo on December 18th. So San Fran, Chargers, Buffalo, and Chargers are going to be pretty desperate for that Dolphins game. So that's the only thing that worries me is do they look ahead? Yeah. Chargers Dolphins is going to end the internet, man. That game is getting a lot. A lot oh going my god! Into it. But yeah, uh, I I hear you. But at the same time, the Texans have won one game because a lot of teams have been. And it was in, early. Yeah, it was the freaking Jags. It was our yeah. Jaguars. I, yeah. I when I realized that last week, I had to sit down. I was like, I how in in the history of fading these Texans did I get on the Jaguars one week and they missed it? But yeah, this this change to Kyle Allen, uh, legitimately like, sure, but it does not improve the team. Davis Mills was not a problem. He wasn't great, but he wasn't a problem uh, for this team. Their issue is their defensive trenches, right? Their issue is is their uh, defensive schematics. Their issue is their weapons. None of that's going away. Kyle Co- don't forget the coaching. Yeah, right. Lovey as well. So your your uh, your problems aren't going away. No matter twenty four seventeen touchdown interception. Kyle Allen ain't solving everything. You know what I mean? So I, I this is a spot where yeah, I expect the Dolphins to run, especially because the Dolphins are in control of the AFC East. Miami has to continue to win games, continue to put pressure on Buffalo because they got that early home game. Good point. Huge home home advantage for them playing in Miami early in the year. They're going to get Buffalo late in the year. And they understand that that having cushion on Buffalo in the event that they, that Buffalo drops one is going to be very, very big for that upcoming performance. Houston is going to have at least one of the top two picks in the draft. Mm-hmm. But then if Cleveland can't turn Cleveland's, you know, Underdogs again this week. If Cleveland can't get it going, that could be like the fifth, sixth, seventh pick in the draft. They might have two of the top seven. Yeah, Cleveland is such a... Uh, that cleveland Bucks game, I looked at it for about five seconds and I went, I'm at no chance am I betting this with the way yeah. both oh, these teams Oh, ultimate stay away. Team, yeah. I hate I, I'll to. be on Rashad White rushing overs because I take the rushing over for the starting back against the Browns every single week. But other than that, don't let me bet this game. But that... uh this Cleveland situation is interesting. Jacoby has not played poorly. If Deshaun comes back and has rust, like they're going to end up a five-win team, a six-win team. Yeah. Abysmal first season performance. And so much of it is, again, because that defensive side of the ball. They're really bad. And I don't know why they're that bad because I remember heading into the season, people like some of the guys in their defense. They're like, oh, these guys might uh, be semi-interesting. I'll, uh, I'll, you know, as a nerd myself, I'm allowed to do this. It's because of the nerds, man. The nerds ruined the Browns' defense. Like, I, I think Andrew Barry's a, a, a good general manager in the sense that he knows how he wants to build a team and he has like a theory and he has 
ideas that he sticks to. He has like you know a, a philosophy, and that's generally good. However, they they you know they min maxed. They said we're going to build for speed. We're going to build for quickness. We're going to build for pass defense. John Johnson. We're going to draft Greg Newsom after we already have Denzel Ward. JOK is two hundred twenty pounds. He's our starting linebacker. They poured resources. Jadavian Clowney. We're going to pour resources into defending the pass. Their interior cannot like like cannot play the run. And Joe yeah. Woods has no like at least like Brandon Staley, Ejiro uh, Evero, that's Vic Fangio. They try to come up with solutions. Joe Woods just lines them up and plays. He just he 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 ties one hand behind his back and then says, you know. Garrett, save us. You know, Jadavion Clowney, save us, make a play. And it's completely untenable. But this, like this, if, if, when we talk about this, this idea of, of like a modern defense that stops the pass over stopping the run, that surrenders five-yard runs, when you take that idea too far, you end up where Cleveland is. Their starting defensive tackle is Taven Bryan. He couldn't, he was a first-round pick that, that busted and never, never did anything in Jacksonville to indicate he had developmental talent. They, 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 they have Tommy Tungia and Jordan Elliott. These are mid-round picks. They just stick him out there to, to, to die. It's, it's very pathetic the way that Cleveland has decided, yeah, we, we, we defend the pass, and then they're just getting bullied every single week. It's because of the nerds. Even the Pats are able to put some points on them. Let's, uh, let's take a break, and we'll do the Thanksgiving games. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe Spring. On the way, warmer temperatures, more time outside, more time away from your home. Do yourself a favor. Make sure you're doing what you can to protect your place and get a Simply Safe home security system, comprehensive protection for your whole home, a great way to keep you and your loved ones safe. What if you're going out for Easter for six hours? You don't think the burglars are going to figure that out? That y'all, y'all packed up your car at like 1130 on Easter and you drove off somewhere? Yeah, all they need is an hour. I'm not the only one singing Simply Safe's praises. Simply Safe, named best home security system in 2024 by US News and World Report, recognized for the best customer service and home security by Newsweek. Protect your home today. I use Simply Safe and love it. My listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system when they sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/bs. Don't wait. That is simplysafe.com/bs. All right, so we have three games. Bills Minus nine and a half in Detroit, where they've been stuck really for a week. I think both of us like golf a little bit. We'll get to that in a second. Cowboys <laughs> minus 10 against the Giants, which even Giants fans in my life are telling me, stay away. We're yep. so banged up. We're a mess. Um, there's some real flipping on this Giants season that's in motion. And they're a little like the Titans, where it's like, how are they doing this? But they're so well coached. Be a little scared. And I'm still scared of the Tennessee, but now I'm less scared of the Giants from what's happened the last couple weeks. They really should have lost both games and easily could have lost to Houston, which, as you covered, is a terrible football team. Yep. And then the game of the day is uh, Pats-Vikes, a night game. We get primetime cousins. We get Belichick on short rest, where he's <laughs> he's just unbelievable short rest. Yep. Cousins is horrible um, in night games. They lost their left tackle, two concussions in eight days. Not awesome. Once he went out of that Dallas game, the game was over. They couldn't block at all. And the Pats defense, mm -hmm. since week four, number one defensive DVOA, the New England Patriots. Yeah, so this is, this is the best stat. Entering week 11, the Patriots led the league in team pressure rate, the amount of opposing dropbacks in which they generated a pressure. Second was the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys have since leapfrogged them because they got to play the Minnesota Vikings without Christian Derrissaw. Guess who the Patriots have on Thursday? 
the Minnesota right. Vikings. Uh, so it's, it's a battle of can you get right back on top? The Vikings, uh, Kirk Cousins was pressured on over 60% of his dropbacks against the Cowboys as his well, single game career high as an individual. And that that like that is a product of the Cowboys' unbelievable talent along the defensive line. Uh, the Patriots do things a little bit differently. Like obviously like Judon, incredible talent. They're not as, as deep with like pure pass rushers. But the way they're able to manipulate protection, the way Belichick's able to get rushers from depth, and then the fact that their their guys just finish their their rushes well, right? Like you know, like Dietrich Wise is gonna gonna handle his business. You know, if you if you if you get Judon isolated one on one, left side or right side, he's gonna be able to win in both situations. When they blitz their linebackers like Jawan Bentley, when they bring Kyle Duggar from Gadeth, all these guys finish their rushes. They're so disciplined. Uh, it's gonna be a it's not it's gonna be a day from hell for for Cousins. This this backup left tackle Blake Brandle can't play, cannot well, play. The Jets, who made the Pats offense look pretty shaky because they played him twice in a couple weeks. The Jets had the second best DVOA since week four. And the reason not to take the Pats in this game is because they're just so afraid to let Mac Jones do anything. The pass charts are hilarious. They, Next Gen has those mm-hmm. pass charts for each QB. And the, the you look at the Mac Jones pass chart and it's basically a coaching staff deciding you're not going to hurt us. It's yep. just going to be all short stuff. You will throw nothing to the sidelines at all. You will throw really nothing deep at all over the middle. We're just not letting you do that. And it's going to be a lot of dump offs. That's one of the reasons I like the Ramondre uh, receiving yards and the receiving catches because he's going to have like six, seven, eight catches every game the rest of the way, just the way they use Mac Jones. Yeah. And they're so scared of him. I want to know. I don't know why they won't go to Zappy because if they're this afraid of Mac Jones, right? If you go, if you go look at Zappy's, I was sending some friends this, I was on a couple of Pat's threads. (laughs) <laughs> Zappy's week six pass chart when they lit it up, it, it looks like Joe Burrow. He's throwing all the, the that parts the of the field. Game? Yeah, the uh, week six. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that was those Cleveland. Yeah, he he's throwing deep middle on the sideline left. They won't let Mac do that anymore. So that's the reason not to take the Pats is they're just terrified of Mac. Yeah, which uh, the bigger position I have in this game is on the under, under 42 and a half points. I'm under on the Vikings for this game at 21 and a half points. I'll take all unders and like, you know, put those into parlays and just kind of expect just like a stinky, tough defensive game. This Vikings defense is is prime for that Ramondre Stevenson, Damian Harris sort of a night where Ramondre has, like you say, like five catches, six catches. They have them on screens because they're to keep everything in front of you defense. And Mac is not trying to, has the license to, is available to push the ball down the field. Like, because of how Mac is playing, because of how the coaching staff is coaching him, they're not going to try to test any of that intermediate stuff. And the Vikings are trying to cover that anyway. They're willing to give you the shallow stuff. So I think it's going to be that, that big Ramondre kind of run after a catch sort of a day, a big Jacoby run after a catch sort of a day when they get their explosives. The Vikings also play with very light boxes and light personnel. And they've been good. At doing that, they have a good defensive tackle group. Uh, Harry Phillips, James Lynch, they've done a good job. This Patriots rushing attack puts a lot of heavy bodies on the field. It, it, it It's a big test for the way. Like Minnesota's, you know, box. It's they, very they put, similar to the Dallas yeah. thing that demolished them. I think we I think we are kind of the poor man's version of Dallas in some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we'd so throw you, the ball like them, but. Right, but you, but even then, the Patriots have like bigger backs. They have a bigger offensive line. Like they are going to punish you if you try to play light box. So I think it's a very quick game. I think the clock runs a lot. I think you see a lot of completions. See a lot of of, of rushing attempts. So we're going to lean to the under that way. And then I think right, it's Ramondre and Damian Harris just kind of controlling this game. So it's very difficult to find a way that the Patriots get blown out. That the Vikings like have a, a high scoring game unless it's a high turnover game for Mac. And like you say, they are. They got kid gloves on Mac. They're, they're not letting him do anything. I've never seen 
Man, it's been a while. I mean, we had Brady for 20 years, so it's hard to remember. Right, what it's yeah, like yeah. That bad. You're going back to like when I was in college. And in college, they we didn't have Belichick so that, you know, we would put people like Hugh Millen and Scott Zolak in the position to just air it out. This Mac thing, it's, it's you know, he did it with Brissett too when, the, when Brady got suspended for Deflategate and Brissett had to play and they had that game where the Pats were underdogs and then he was just very careful with Brissett. He knows how to do the game-managed QB thing. We found a bet that we really liked. It is an adjusted one on FanDuel. You could take the Pats to plus four and a half. So you're basically covered. If Mac Jones self-combusts, you know, Jefferson, say, I think they're going to double Jefferson and make all the other guys beat them. But let's say KJ Osborne gets like a 75 yard or whatever. And the Pats blow the game. I think it's be close. Pats plus four and a half. And then we pulled the Pats under, under 52 and a half. So 53 points would have to beat that. And you could put those two together. It's minus 115. Now we could throw in one, one more big favorite to try to get that down to even. Like you mentioned the Chiefs, mm-hmm. put them in there maybe, or, or the Dolphins, yeah. maybe the Chiefs and the Dolphins, but, or we could just ride that with the minus 115 with those. You two. don't like what your, do you KJ Osborne? You don't want to get KJ in there? I, I'm a little worried about the Hawkinson piece. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, there's maybe a separate one with KJ Osborne. But um, but yeah, out of, out of the Chiefs and the Dolphins, who would you bet your life on? Uh, Chiefs. The the Texans are just like an annoying team. And the Dolphins are set up for some regression, like the whole Tua conversation aside. They're going to have a day right. where like those, some of the picks are caught and whatever. The Chiefs against this version of the Rams seem good night. Uh, I mean, like. The the only way the chi- the Rams win games is if they can cover well enough to let the pass rush actually get home, and there's no chance they're doing that with their secondary Chiefs for sure. Did you see any world in a million years where the Rams are going to be this bad? I mean, we knew there was like some serious super hangover potential, but did you ever in a million years expect this? I definitely thought they were going to be bad. This is embarrassing. This is I I don't want to question if Sean McVay is trying because I don't think he isn't. However, it's it's there was so much work done to figure out how to make the Stafford offense good last year that I think and, and a lot of it ended up with how do we help this offensive line that once these offensive line injuries compiled, they were kind of like, oh, we have no shot. The thing that is frustrating beyond like, all right, very bad injury luck, no Cooper Cup, that sucks. Like there's a lot going down. The thing that I think was really difficult is the way this running back position has been handled. Uh, it's so long ago so it's easy to like forget that this was what McVeigh was originally predicated on but it was originally his ability to run the football it was Todd Gurley offensive player of the year right it was they were an outside zone team and teams caught up to the outside zones they became an inside zone duo team and they were 12 personnel instead of 11 personnel and everything was coming off all the play action passing was coming off the way they run the football they spent a third round pick on Daryl Henderson and a second round pick on Cam Akers this year, they tried to trade Cam Akers for nothing, failed, and then because they couldn't do it, cut Many played last Henderson. Week. But yeah. I don't like it. It's it's absolutely bemusing, and and they completely have sacrificed the running game on the altar of the passing game. Once they got Stafford in there, like we don't care about running the football well at all, and McVay would still do it on first and ten because he's just coded to act that way. That's the part where like a good coach should be able to handle that. Bad offensive line, sure. Running back rotations, absolutely. A coach from this tree, like look at all the other coaches in this tree besides kind of Zach Taylor a little bit, though he's been better in recent weeks. They figure out the running game. And McVay just 
it just doesn't. He just they run the same stuff. They run more outside zone than anyone else in the league still, and they run into bad fronts and they get bottled up. And because of that, they don't have play action passing, and there's just nothing there. So the 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 shrug from the offensive coaching staff to me is the most disappointing part of this season. Wow, that was a scathing, a scathing rebuke. I, I <laughs> you listen if you wanted if you wanted to go be a broadcaster, go be a broadcaster. You can be the head coach wow, of the I'm team. Sure. I guarantee he would do a do over on that. All right, yeah. so we can do Pats plus four and a half, Pats under 52 and a half. That's minus 115. We could throw KC 1100 in there, and that takes it to plus 104. It gets it into the plus. I like it. The only All the right. only spot I feel a little sketchy about is Patriots plus four and a half, but I think you're okay there. Okay. All right, we're going to do that. I also like the Pats straight up as well, mm-hmm. which I think is a separate bet. Uh, Bills-Lions. Bills, that that's held steady at nine and a half. Have you noticed... I'm much older than you. With gambling, it always used to be minus three. They'd be minus 10. Now it's like they love to just mess with us with the minus two and a half. Give you the hook. They don't They don't want us to have the three and the push. Like we had it last week with Atlanta. No, Atlanta, Atlanta, Chicago. Plus Atlanta was minus three. That one stayed at three. And then Atlanta won by three. And that was like what I grew up with. It was like, oh mm-hmm. man, I had Atlanta. It was a push. There are barely any pushes anymore. Um, this nine and a half where it's like, if this was 10, I could start talking myself into the lions, but at nine and a half, it's weird how that half point just lingers. But I do think the lions can move the ball. I do think they can run the ball with Swift and Williams, right? The bills are pretty good against the run, but I don't know. They have a little double barrel back. It's a Thursday. They've been stuck in Detroit. I, I am leaning toward the lions. And yet I sent you that stat. John Ewing had this that uh, the Lions are three and eighteen straight up on Thanksgiving and seven and fourteen against the spread since nineteen ninety. And at some point, the baggage right. of a franchise has to factor in. Isn't that just because like the Lions in general are that bad over the course of that? I guess seven and fourteen against very the spread, possible. But, still, but yeah. how many Thanksgivings have we had where this game starts early and the West Coast starts like nine thirty? You talk yourself into a Lions bet. And it's ten nothing by ten o'clock. Like we don't, we haven't even had. We're still on the pastry section of Thanksgiving, right, and the, and the yeah. bet's already over. And I think I have a lot of scars with that. You're younger than me, so maybe you don't. Mm-hmm. The if Jeffrey Akuda were playing in this game, I'd be on the Lions plus nine and a half. Akuda has been their solution to wide receiver ones all year. He's and been, been really a, good. Yeah, wonderful. excellent young player. Concussed yeah. out for this game. The last dude you can lose for this because I do not think the Bills have a Stephon Diggs answer without him. Amani Arawarie. AJ Parker. These are not quality enough players to handle Diggs one on one. They would probably give even like double team help to Akuda if you're out there. They're gonna have to do it with, with the other corners. I don't think it's gonna go well. So firstly, I like I like Diggs quite a lot in this game. However, since the UCL injury, Josh Allen has been missing throws. Yes. It you know, it didn't end up mattering too much against Cleveland. If you watch red zone, you still see all the rushing touchdowns, you see the deep bombs that are connected, but underneath stuff, like stuff that you have to just kind of guide it in, you know, coax it in, like the light stuff. He has been drastically missing receivers. Now, I don't know how UCLs work. So there's a chance that that's just like, you know, randomness. And I'm, I'm, I'm giving an explanation. Correlation is causation. Oh, it's because his elbow's hurt. But the well, he doesn't, not- have, he doesn't have the same swagger. I think that's, I yeah. test wise, he seems like somebody who's hurt and a little frustrated. So I think I, I have to factor that in with this. Yeah. So Bills offensively, to me, are not the juggernaut we saw in the beginning of the season. And, and anybody's like, oh, they scored 30 points against the Browns. See previous comment about anybody can run against the Browns. It's not real. It doesn't count. So that plus the health of Amon Ross St. Brown, 
Jared Goff is fifth in the league in EPA per dropback in games in which Amon Ross St. Brown starts and ends the game. Fifth in the mm. league in EPA per dropback. Goes Damn. like Allen Mahomes, Tua Hurts, Jared freaking Goff. Because Amon Ross St. Brown is so, so, so important to this passing game. I've compared him on, on previous shows to the the most mini Cooper Cup of any of the mini Cooper Cups. Remember the whole like Justin Jefferson's gonna be a mini Cooper Cup, and that like never happened because Jefferson doesn't block, so they don't use him in the same way. Amon Ross St. Brown, third down, against zone, against man, down the field, yards after catch, block, reverses, running back touches. He's the mini cup. And when he when when the Lions have him, Goff sustains drives because he finds him on third down. They throw past the six on third down. And they're able to push the ball down the field. And then this is a good red zone offense because of their running game and because of Jamal Williams. I like the Lions overs. I like Diggs and Amon Ross St. Brown overs. I probably am going to take Lions plus nine and a half before Thanksgiving, if we're being honest. Um, but I, I prefer a little bit more Lions team total than the, and, and the overall over than really trusting the Lions just because of that Akuda in availability. I do think that the Lions arrow is pointing up and the Bills arrow is pointing down. I think we're going to get a legit Lions Thanksgiving Day game. That's my bold prediction. So what's the Lions, what's the spread just for their scoring? Uh, I saw over 20 and a half earlier in this week, and I took that. I don't know. I would imagine we're over 21 by this point. Hmm. Vandal's got the Lions total points at, yeah, over 21 and a half, small juice to the over. I still like that. You could also do a little Lions. Will the Lions score two touchdowns in this game? The, don't yes, they have the, those? Yeah, the total touchdowns for the Lions is over two and a half right now. Uh, and it's even money uh, on both sides. That touchdown bet has actually been quite nice to me this year because teams like the Titans, the Lions, tend to be very, very good in the red zone. There are some reliably good red zone defenses like like uh, the Giants, like Denver, that you can then fade the opposing offense. So those touchdown props are nice. Uh, but overall, the Lions, their willingness to go for it on fourth down, the way they trust their running game down low. Yeah, I like them. I like them to score points against the Bills, make this a real game to watch. I'm going to be in Detroit for the game with Lions fans. So I would really like for this to be like a relatively interesting game. What do you think about both teams to score one plus touchdown in each half? Ooh, so that's two total touchdowns in the first Just half. Each of them get at least one touchdown each half. In each half. What's the, what's the, what's the uh, juice? What do you think the juice is? I don't know. I'd make that like plus 150. Yeah, it's at minus 128. So people must be on that. Not awesome. Not awesome. Yeah, the over-under for touchdowns for the Lions is two and a half, which isn't great. Total touchdowns scored in the game, six and a half. That seems pretty high. That's that's that that's quite high. The that's Bills a lot also, of touchdowns, especially yeah. like, you know the Lions are going to go for it inside the 10-yard line and not get it not on get fourth it. down. The Bills, are also bad, the Bills are a bad red zone offense, have been since when Josh Allen was healthy, just because they can't run the football, and so it becomes... Like jump balls to Dawson Knox and isolation routes to Stephon Diggs. That's just low percentage. Now, I, I, my, my vision is on the Lions scoring points, which again, Thanksgiving Day, Detroit, I understand it. But with a Monroe St. Brown healthy, this is a good offense. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll try to figure out some sort of scoring bet. And then what do we do with the Dallas Giants game? Uh, I don't want to stay away. We take Dalton Schultz receiving overs and then we hold our nose and we try not to bet anything else for the rest of the day. Uh, Schultz, uh, the, the Giants are an extremely heavy man coverage team and an extremely heavy blitz team. When Dak Prescott gets man coverage, he throws to two players, CeeDee Lamb and Dalton Schultz. When he gets blitz, he pretty much throws mostly to CeeDee Lamb, but Schultz is also up there as well, especially if you go back to last season's numbers. Uh, CeeDee's going to have a super high total. Uh, I don't mind looking at those lines. I don't mind looking at alt lines for him. Noah Dory Jackson in this game means that CeeDee's going to be a huge problem, 77 and a half. Uh, the, the Giants like try to play with a safety over the slot. If they do that against the Cowboys. CeeDee's going to eat them alive. 
Um, but Schultz to me is the safer bet. Uh, it was over 35 and a half to start the week. It's at 38 and a half right now. I like it up to 40. Uh, Schultz is, is Dak's second most trusted target. And he's just been a little bit unavailable and then Dak wasn't around. And so the stats aren't there this year. But when they're playing together, Schultz is seeing the sort of volume that projects to more than 38 and a half receiving yards. Cowboys win by 11 to 20 points plus 270. Ooh. Cowboys win by 21 to 30 points plus 430. I would rather the 11 to 20. I kind of like the 11 too. It yeah. feels like like a because, like almost yeah. like last week, the 24 to 6 type of win. Yeah, and because the Giants are going to run the football. And so that's going to shorten the game a little bit. Cowboys have to be really, really efficient to get enough points to, to pull that over. Uh, Barkley, like rushing props to me, are also interesting. He's at over 74 and a half. This Cowboys front is feast for famine, right? They're undersized and they're all speed. This Giants offensive line is decimated. Don't get me wrong. Um, but to me, they still have a diverse enough running game. You get Daniel Jones involved that I do think that, that they have the opportunity to run it quite a bit. And in doing so, uh, uh, keep this game short such that Dallas can't really pour on the points. And that's why spread-wise, I'm a little bit shaky. Like, minus 10 is a lot. If the Giants sustain two six-plus minute scoring drives running the football, it's really hard to get to, to get over 10 unless the Cowboys are perfect on offense. Uh, so to me, I like, I, like, I like Schultz. I don't like much else in this game. But I think like you look at some Barkley rushing props. Jones, I don't like the rushing prop as much just because they, they play a, a little bit too much zone for that. But Barkley, Barkley to me is, is uh, an overlean at 74 and a half. Who do you have as your top five running backs right now? If you could have any, five, any running backs for a playoff game in round two, you can take anyone yeah. in the league. Who would your five be? Is Pollard in the five? I get, is the reason I asked this question. No, I don't think so. Uh, okay. Pollard's, Pollard's an extremely juiced up player. He's awesome. Ball in his hands, he's great. He, uh, we talked about this a little bit on the Friday pod for the Ringer feed. He's not experienced running between the tackles because they don't let him do it because Zeke's so good at it, right? And so Pollard yeah. is, for as, as dynamic as he is, and he has, he has ripped off runs between the tackles before, he's not polished just because of reps. Like if Zeke missed eight games in 2020, Pollard would like potentially be the man, right? But I just he's not at that point yet. Um, All right, my, so like, would, you, would Barkley be in there? I think so. Like the uh, Chubb is one, Taylor is two, no question. I think Aaron Jones has to be up there with the season he's had this year. Jones has been incredible. Barkley at four. <sighs> McCaffrey feels like he should be the correct choice, but honestly, like, I don't think McCaffrey's 100% the athlete he was pre-injury. I think he's more like 90, 92% the, the athlete he was. I'm trying to make sure I'm not missing anyone. Obvious. All right, so the, so the answer is Ramondre is the number five. Thank you. That's great. Ramondre really? was my... Uh, was like one of my breakout players entering this year. And for a second there, I was like, there's no way they're doing Damian Harris again, right? And now at this point, I think it's pretty clear. Ramondre, big piece of that backfield, man. He's so good. All right, so Cowboys, 11 to 20 points, kind of like there's, uh, for the Buffalo game, um, some some Lions points. There's a way to bet on that one. And then doing straight up, Lions plus nine and a half, Cowboys minus 10, Pats plus two and a half. That would be plus five ninety five. Mm. Could also so, take the Pats money line. Just go balls to the wall. Pats plus one sixteen. That gets it to you plus six eighty seven. Yeah, I have a, I have already a few in pocket. I'll probably have a few more of just Pats money line with a a Pats prop right with like a Ramondre Stevenson receiving over with like a Mac Jones total passing under and stuff like that because. This is going to be a game that the Patriots can dictate and control. So I, I like I like Pat's money line as a part of their leg. The Giants-Cowboys, I just would not. As Everybody's too that's, banged up. Divisional that's not how Thanksgiving gambling goes, Solak. You got to bet on something. 
You can't right. not have three hours of no bet. I might do the 11 to 20. Yeah, I might yeah. throw that in there. Uh, it's also it's also we're in second time seeing each other, right? They have played before yeah. this season. We're starting to get to that era where there's adjustments and anticipations and, and that, that whole chess match which is always tough to handicap. Give me your top three pies before we go. Uh, number one is pumpkin cheesecake. I don't know if it counts or not, but we make it every year. Count it. My wife, my wife just made it. It's great. Number two, you ever had a strawberry rhubarb pie? Strawberry of rhubarb pie. Slap. Fed mm, every pie. Good. Yeah. Uh, no pecan. Uh, no, apple's fine. I'll take a classic pumpkin pie for three. It's, it is the season. You know what I'm saying? It feels nice. I got pumpkin, pecan, chocolate chess. Chocolate chess? Chocolate chess. It's like a, it's a Southern thing. It's like a chocolate pudding type thing. Oh, you might have to get on the chocolate chess. I, it's, I've never heard of this. It's like a delicious, hard chocolate pudding pie that's a Southern thing, and it is flat-out delicious. Pictures Those are, are, top are very encouraging. We're not yeah. going to investigate this. Yeah, do some investigation. Yeah, All right, yeah, figure it out. good luck betting. Good luck eating. Uh, good luck to the Eagles. I'll see you next week. Appreciate you, Bill. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra. My go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game. Right now, than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. All right, Peter Schrager is here. We're going to talk about the Sunday games. I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Solak just out of curiosity. It feels like the Niners and the Cowboys and the Eagles have, are now levitating above everyone else in the NFC. The Eagles are still the favorites. I said I like the Niners upside more, but I also know the injury stuff is there. He said the Cowboys, once Smith comes back, mm -hmm. um, and just in general, like just kind of built for January. So he kind of liked their upside the most. And neither of us like the Eagles. How would you rank those three right now for who's still playing at the end of January? Mm. We're, we're, we're done with Minnesota after one loss, huh? I just think I'm just concentrating on those three. Those three. I think Niners won. They've been there. They've made these runs. And even go back to 2019, I remember they started off red hot and then they lost a couple games to like Baltimore and they lost to Seattle on a Monday night. And then they go into New Orleans and like Jimmy G had to win that game and he hit Kittle on a fourth and two. Like they've done it. You know, they've gone on the road and won in Green Bay. I haven't seen this group of Dallas Cowboys win anything of great significance. I haven't seen anything from the Eagles, uh, actually, of a game that actually is significant. I've seen it from the Niners. They're so tough up front. I would actually put San Francisco as my number one team in the NFC right now. I would, too. I don't trust the Debo-McCaffrey-Kittle uh, combo to play for eight straight weeks. That's, that's my, fair. But you I know think what? that's fair. Hey, Elijah Mitchell just came back, and I'm watching that game Monday night. And, you know... McCaffrey, I think, is averaging like three yards a carry, had like 30 yards. They traded multiple picks. I mean, they, they gave a bounty yeah. up for this guy and they haven't even used him yet. So I think that's okay. I, I think it's okay if one of those guys has to miss some time, whatever. They have, they have the guys that can fill in and they've shown that over the last few years that they are the most resilient team when it comes to injuries. The cards who we've shorted a few times this year, 
uh, really discouraging Mexico City game. They have to mm. fire an assistant afterwards because there's a groping thing. Second assistant that they fired in two years. And it feels like that team is completely unraveling. And I went to go see how we could bet against them this week. Yes. And of they course, the Chargers. They're home. Yeah, they're home. They're playing the Chargers. That line is now Cardinals by three. I'm so afraid of the Cardinals as an underdog. We're going to stay away from them. We're not going <laughs> to stay away from the New York Jets. You're the in. The New York Jets finally made the QB change. It happened today. It happened this morning. The part of the thing that sucks about making picks and talking football when we're taping these Thursday mornings, in this case, Wednesday morning, is things yeah. can change, shift, whatever. And I, I, I actually thought they might be dumb enough to start Zach Wilson again. They did not. So what happened? Yeah, so... You know, the game was obviously an epic failure on Sunday, but it's been all season. He is statistically the worst quarterback in football. He's had a really rough year. And what I think is really the the story within that building, they didn't expect to be six and three going up to New England. They didn't expect to beat the Dolphins and the Bills in games. They didn't expect to be where they're at. All these guys have exceeded expectations. They're all playing way over their heads and playing in a fantastic you know, team oriented way. And that includes everyone from the rookies, obviously, but like CJ Mosley's having an all pro season at linebacker. You know, Sauce Gardner is, is maybe the top three corner in the league right now. And then Quinn and Williams up front, like, so they're Their all front four is them. awesome. It's unbelievable. And you, you, and you talked to Sal about it. Like this, this defense is that legit, but their offense, like they lost Elijah Vera Tucker and Brees Hall. I thought that was it. That's their best lineman. And that's their best, you know, skill position player. And these other guys have stepped up. Carter's good. The offensive line's good. So all these players have risen to the occasion. One guy hasn't. Wilson. He hasn't improved. He hasn't shown any, you know, signs of improvement. Nothing. So this is already brewing as a, you know, okay, hey, we're making this, this giant leap as a team, but the one guy is our quarterback holding us back. You come off that game Sunday, you know, the two yards in the second half, 103 yards total, all this stuff. That, those comments, I think that really, really resonated with a lot of people in a wrong way. And it showed a, a, a self-awareness that wasn't there. It showed a, a tone-deaf uh, mentality on this, on this team that you, if you, you come out of that now, I originally was like, okay, this guy, after a tough loss, just gets to the podium, wants to act tough, wants to at least just like, you know, not give an inch. But I didn't see a single Jets player come out after that and be like, no, like Zach's our dude or any of the coaches right. be like, no, we got Zach's back. They were the verbally opposite. subtweeting him. I know Elijah Moore is doing stuff. Garrett Wilson's got comments like all these guys are coming out. And I, I think this comes down not to just, you know, the coaching staff and thing and not just the player. I, I think from an entire organization standpoint, it's like you, you can't just roll him out on Sunday. We, we can't. We have to do something. So they made the decision. The people I've spoken to in that building are comfortable with the decision. They play the Bears on Sunday and Mike White, you know, say what you want. They, that gave him a bit of a kickstart. Last year, they're hoping to get something out of them this week. I think the Jets are good. They're really I do. good. Everywhere I think they're good. I think they're a good football team, and their quarterback is so bad that it almost rendered them completely impotent. You know, he's 23. Like, yeah. he's, he's, he's several years younger than Burrow. He's younger than, uh, you know, uh, Kenny Pickett is older than him. Kenny Pickett is obviously a first-year guy. So I'm going to give him a pass and say he'll grow into this thing, but... I'll tell you this, during the draft, it was like Trevor Lawrence is hands down number one. By March, everyone that I knew in that Jets organization, and I know them well, were like, Fields, Lance, Mac, no, 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 Zach. Like, they were sold. And now they were, The Mahomes word was getting thrown around with him. 
Rodgers was thrown around because of a couple of flick of the wrist throws he had at BYU. And we can go back at it a million ways, say, well, it was a COVID season. It was this, it was that. Bottom line is I'm not giving up on Zach Wilson over the long term, but like this is a major red flag and a big black eye for a guy that was number two overall pick. Well, the COVID drafts, because this happened in the NBA too, there was just, I think the most, you go back and you look and you're like, wow, how does Hal Burton fall that far? Because people loved Hal Burton, yeah. but nobody had a chance to interview him. Nobody had a chance to really like, and if they were working them out, we didn't know about it. Like if they were in some secret masked up place and I, it just feels like the variance of it. I don't know how that ties into quarterbacks, but I'm sure it helps to spend real time with somebody you're about to draft. We've also seen though, this league is now messing up top 15 picks. Sal and I talked about it Sunday. It's like 60% the last six, seven years. It's There's more pressure and more guys just, just kind of burning out or self-combusting or whatever. I've never seen anything like it. The only thing that's worse in America right now is our American actor crisis. Yeah, we just, we talked about this on the prestige. Oh, after oh, I listened. No, I, we did white Lotus for episode five on Sunday. I didn't realize that Theo James, the guy who plays happy yeah. Cameron, yeah. they Mallory and Joanna told me how he's British. And I'm like, what? We don't even get that guy. He's I British. Was like, this guy's good. He's British. He's British. The other one is British or Australian. The one who's on yeah. Plaza's it's a boyfriend. It's a fucking husband. crisis. We should be They're, talking about this like we're talking about the crypto crisis. I, you know, who said it? Uh, it was, it was. I guess this week, Quentin Tarantino came out and said that like there are no, uh, there are no great like actors anymore because they're all just in Marvel movies and they you identify with the character that they are and you don't identify with the actor themselves. I don't think it's that yeah. crazy a comment. Now, whether or not that also has enabled more people of color and more opportunities, that's also true. And it has, but I'm telling you what, I'm watching like Knives Out. It was just on and I'm like, Daniel Craig's been in my life for 25 years. Chris Evans has been in my life for 20 years. Yeah. Uh, Michael Shannon's been in my guys? life. Where's the next guy? Like, who's the next one? And uh, you know, you're right. I don't know. Really How's sad. that for a rant? Well, <laughs> I think it ties into the QB situation. It's not much different, right? Like we, we, we're like, who's the next guy? Who's the next guy? And really, how many QBs have we've completely fallen head over heels in love with in the last so few many. years? And I'll tell you, I'm watching Saturday night. I'm up and I'm watching USC, UCLA, and Caleb Williams is throwing the ball, and it's a thing of beauty. It's like he's got a missile and he's throwing it off off schedule, and then. I text some of like these other GMs. I'm like, are you watching this? I'm like, yeah, but the real guy to watch is is Will Levis down at Kentucky. And I'm like, okay, I, I've seen him. I, I don't know. And then another one's like, I think actually Bryce Young, his calm, his poise, it's like his height is an issue. But so we're not going mean, to, there's going to be this every single year. And eventually there is going to be one that hits. But I, I don't think, I mean, Joe Burrow's the last one that has truly, you know, actually been up to the expectations and he's exceeded them. But you go through like guys like Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson and then Justin Fields has had a moments, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like we've been a couple years now. We haven't had that guy come out of the college game. Yeah, but I guess Burrow, we Burrow's, had Herbert, Mahomes. Herbert. Now, here's where the Tua fans would be like, what about Tua? Hmm. I, I mean, he's certainly, when you think about where it was a year ago to where it is now, um, but we've also had a lot of misses and it makes me sad because I like watching good quarterbacks. So do I. So do I. And I hate watching bad football. You know, it's amazing. Yeah. We're watching games this weekend and Sam Darnold's being rolled out there by Carolina. Sam yeah. Darnold's tw 24 years old. I feel like people are done with him. And it's like, in any other generation, this guy wouldn't have even seen the field yet. And we're already done with him as a quarterback. Right. What is he, like two years younger than Burrow? Yeah. And, and it's like, all right, I guess that's just what we do. We're on to the next, but... 
That's well, say-lo-day. Jets and Panthers are two teams we were thinking about for million dollar picks. The Jets thing. So the Bills have the the Bears have scored a lot of points except for the Washington game. They've been consistently yeah in that twenty nine to thirty five range, and Fields can run around. They'll also score points for the other team. Um, they'll they have not played a defense like this Jets defense, which I got to watch because they played the Pats twice, and I, I was just blown away with how good they were. I really They're felt amazing. like anytime they needed to make a play, I felt like they made it. And they end up losing the game last week kind of because of a punt return. And then I think of this Bears offense, which, you know, especially if Herbert's not going to play, which I it seems like he's not. Or yeah, if he Khalil plays, Herbert, he's going to be not, hurt. And if he does, it's going to be limited. But even Fields yeah. is coming off an injury now. So Fields is banged up. I think, you know, yeah, it's really hard to, you can do it as gimmicky. You can catch people by surprise, but. We're now in week 11, week 12, and it's yeah. pretty hard to duct tape stuff together. And if you're like, here's our quarterback, he's going to complete 10 passes a game and he's going to run around. It's like, cool. Well, we're going to beat the shit out of him when he runs <laughs> around. At some point, there's diminishing returns to that. And I just think him against this Jets defense is going to be a nightmare for him. Yeah, the question is if the Jets are getting a major downgrade at quarterback and this guy throws a bunch of picks, but I don't even see how that's possible. Like, How is I, it possible to be downgrade? Not, They're the worst quarterback in the worse. league. So to me, it's make like, five plays. Exactly right. So can the defense make a play? Can can these wide receivers get a couple passes that they weren't getting ahead of time? Also, the the crazy, you know, Albert Breer is a good reporter. He he had this tweet yesterday. It's almost like such salt in the wound for Jets fans that like Justin Fields stood up in front of the team and apologized for his performance in a game that he played awesome against Atlanta. But like, if you're a Jets fan hearing that, you're like, this guy's apologizing in front of the entire locker room for his performance. And you're right. like, all right, all right, we get it. Zach Wilson did the exact opposite of that thing. The Fields is the only wild card in this thing, and he's been on fire. He's been, you know, breaking records with what he does. And I said it last week. I really don't like rooting against him, and I really like rooting for the Bears. They're a fun outfit right now. But I hear you. I think if you're trying to make a solid pick here, the Jets, they if they have anything left in the tank, they're beating the Bears, a team that does not belong on the same field as them. Uh, you know, as far as the offense versus the defense goes. Unfortunately, the line has moved to six, and they it's have gotten, moved to because minus. of Mike White. Minus two fifteen, yeah, it's had. Is that not? I crazy? think a two point impact. Wait, wow. it, it it's totally makes sense though, right? Yeah, Zach Wilson was that bad. If you watched the game last week, you'd be like, "Well, this guy's this it is wasn't never even, happening." It it wasn't even like the terror. It's the judgment. There's a third and one at the end of the game there, and he throws it behind the sticks on a dump off. Like it just, right. It almost is like he's not playing the same game that like that he had in the past. It, it's so yes, Mike White comes in there confident competent, more importantly, and uh, you might get an immediate lift. Well, can I, our parlays have been just horrendous on million dollar picks this week. We, for the year, we're down 3.443 million, but I, I'm still not worried. I know that's Phil, crazy, I feel I'm good. still not worried yet. I feel fine. I, I, I got that Headspace app and they do like the meditation and that British guy talks to you. Like I was that depressed Sunday night after our performance. Well, we had it. So we hit it. We, we, hit, on it. The, we hit on the Saints. We needed we the Eagles it. to cover their they part of the team. all the way back. Their left tackle goes out the first quarter and, and the game's over by half. Darisaw like no goes chance. down. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, they, the CBS left in like the third quarter and just never came back. And I'm like, what if there's a comeback for the Vikings? Just no, they knew. For the year, we are three and nine on teaser parlays, which are usually our bigger bets. So mm-hmm. if that, that just explains single-handedly, straight up 17 and 12, underdog parlays are four and 18, which is right around there. Every yeah. one of them is like plus 500. So we're probably breaking mm-hmm. even, but it's been, the teaser parlays that have murdered us. So naturally, I want to do a parlay. 
Let's go Jets, right back to the well. <laughs> Jets minus 215. Solak recommends the Chiefs against the Rams as a big money line over Dolphins, Texans, just because the Texans can get weird and keep stuff close, whereas the Rams season is over. Rams season's over. It's in Arrowhead. I don't know if it's, I mean, I know this. I don't know if it's out there yet. Stafford's not going to play this weekend, so it's it's likely going to be uh, Perkins, the quarterback out of Virginia, who is I a think mobile that's quarterback. Out. Yeah. Is it out there? And yeah. then... Uh, you know, they cut Daryl Henderson. <laughs> like yeah, what team. was up with that? Why did that, that happen? One, he's a free agent at the end of the year. I think he, you know, his he's 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 they been just in and out of the look lineup. At some other people, and I think at McVay's point is this season's done. It, you're a free agent. If you want to go sign somewhere else, you can. He's ending up on the Jaguars. He'll do it. And they want to get a look at a guy like Ronnie Rivers, who's willing to play special teams, and you know, Kieran Williams, who's willing to do everything. Like, let's get guys out there who want to give it their all. If we're going to use anything for these last few weeks, let's let's see what we got in this roster. So Daryl Henderson was not a part of the future plans. Um, but yes, I in no scenario do I see Mc, uh, the the Mahomes Kelsey veterans on the Chiefs letting this one get out of hand and somehow losing to the Rams. Well, we can do Jets Niners against the Saints. Do we trust them? Saints showed a little spark last week. We oh, we're afraid of the we're afraid of the Saints. Saints showed me a little something last week. Did are they you, really? Are, that game, the Rams were winning at the half. Saints come out, blew the doors off them in the second half. And I know Stafford left at the field. Saints are still still the flicker of a heartbeat in the NFC with a weird conference this year. I'm not so sure on that one. You definitely feel good. You think Niners just roll? I, I don't feel good. That's why I was asking you. Well, I mean, there's the Cowboys on Thursday, minus 460, but they make me a little nervous as well. They've lost, they've killed, they killed us last year. They were against the Raiders, but the Giants come in, have five key players out for an injury, short week. Cowboys feeling good. Got the red kettle thing going. I don't know. I feel like the Cowboys is a safer bet than the Niners. Do we like the Jets? We don't just like the Jets minus six. No, that's too much. I, I don't know if... Yeah, I think six. that's too much too. I, I got to figure out the uh, the money line thing with them. What else do we like this week? You like the... Uh, ex- make your case for the Panthers over. I like the bleep it, Carolina Panthers. Let's score some points. They had a terrible out, uh, outing last week against Baltimore. They're going up against a Denver defense that's very good. It doesn't give up more than 20 points ever. Here's how I look at it. Sam Darnold's getting the start. He's a free agent next year. Bob McAdoo or Ben McAdoo, whoever's their offensive coordinator. I mix up the name every single time I say it. He's a lame duck in a lot of ways in that he's the offensive coordinator with with Steve Wilkes right now. Steve Wilkes is a lame duck in a lot of ways. And yet they have a chance to audition for everyone around the league and show what they have. Leave it all out there. This is one of those where if you're going to throw a pick six, that's okay. Let's at least try. Let's at least show something. I think they're going to have a willy-nilly game uh, as far as offensive uh, strategy goes. All sorts of things. Empty the bag. This is their time to do it. Denver's oh, you think this is a kitchen sink game for kitchen Carolina? Kitchen sink game in a lot of ways. Not the season. Careers. Steve, there's nothing that David Tepper would love more than to see this team go on some wild run and make their their team uh, interesting again. A, to make it a more attractive place for a new coach to to want to come next year. Or B, that he could say, you know what? Steve Wilkes showed something towards the end. He's a he's a local guy. The guys love him. Let's roll him out for another year. Let's see what we got. I, the, I think this is one of those deals where they score points. They at least try to score points. And if they don't, that Denver defense will feast and you'll get some defensive touchdowns. We'll get some points. Wait a second. Are you telling me Steve Wilkes has reached the the guys love him? <laughs> guys love point him. Point of the season for Steve Wilkes. 
Let's go. The guys love them. Guys love them. Players okay. like them. I don't know if the the fans or the uh, owners necessarily rushing to sign him to a new deal, but they play inspired football for him. Well, let me ask you this: What if we took the over under of that game down to thirty one and a half, which is yes. minus two thirty? Let's go. We need one. C- of these. Can we get thirty two points out of that game? The high flying Carolina Panthers. We have Jets minus two forty with Denver Carolina <laughs> minus two thirty over thirty one and a half. That is plus one oh three. The ugliest two football games you could imagine. You and I just rooting our asses off, watching it with the CBS seven team and the uh, the Fox eleven team. We're we're in. Let's go. I'm trying to think. Could we even get? No, I don't want to get too ambitious. I mean, we could we could try to say it's good they're going to score forty points combined in that game. But Denver, I don't think could Denver yeah. get to twenty points in a nine quarter game. What do you make of Hackett? We should, who, <laughs> we should call it, we should, this should just be a, suit, a new segment. The, uh, the ugly tree bed of the week. Let's go. This, this pet, this parlay fell off the ugly tree and hit every branch. Every Here single we go. branch. Carolina over, uh, the, with, uh, down to over 31 and a half adjusted with Jets minus 240 plus 103, the ugly tree bed of the week. It's so ugly. I, the, the, the Denver offense, it's so funny. Like I, I'm a big Hackett guy and I thought that he did some really good things in Green Bay. This has been an utter disaster in Denver. He gives up play calling duties to Clint Kubiak. Yeah. Nathaniel Hackett's one thing is offense joy. So I had another coach text me and be like, so what exactly is he doing then if that's not what his job is in Denver? Like that is his whole purpose was to draw up these plays and call the plays. Sure enough, they go out there and they lose to the Raiders last week and you're just like, gosh, it could not get any worse for them. Do we just like Carolina um, just to win that game instead with the Steelers in a parlay? Money line? Carolina, money, the, the ugly tree underdog parlay? I, I like the like points. The I like that. Week. I want that game to be like 41-40 and you and me like dancing the waltz in the middle of the street. All right. So you really want to go. You want to go ugly tree bet of the week. Because I think there could be a couple pick sixes if they don't have a, a big offensive day, either team. Oh, I think that could definitely happen. All right. The ugly tree bet of the week. That's looking like Jets are up to minus 240 money line. Jesus. I know. That's gone from minus 190 to minus, amazing. Uh, to minus 240. The then, Mike uh, White confidence. Yeah. Uh, underdog parlay of the week. We like the, uh, I like the Steelers. Okay. Anybody else you like for, for underdogs? Our, our nominees. Let's hear. Browns plus three and a half against the Bucks. Or money. Stay away. Cards Stay away. plus three and a half or the money against the Chargers. I'm staying away from that. them. Nope. Jags. Plus four and a half or the money at home against Baltimore. I was mildly intrigued by them. And then the Baltimore advanced stats of the stuff they're doing the last few weeks is pretty alarming. Yeah. And Roquan um, Smith's been a sensation in two weeks. He's played. For I know. And then uh, Panthers plus two and a half for the money. And then I really like the Steelers against the Colts. I think the Steelers are okay. Yeah. I don't think they're a- bad. We've picked them the last few weeks, so I've watched them a lot. And I feel like they, they've they lost last week to Cincinnati, but they were in that game. It was 27-23, and they were in there late. Since he played well. Since he was nice really job good. by them. Yeah, it really was. In Pittsburgh. Um, but I agree. I think those Pittsburgh rookies are playing well. TJ Watts all over the field, and I'd be fine doing that. I also still like Carolina. I, I feel like they, they can win also. Bengals are minus two and a half at Tennessee. And I think Cincy's like legitimately good. 
And yet I don't trust them at all to win that game. And the Titans, I'm just so tired of getting my teeth kicked in by them. That I, tough. They're, they're a stay away to me. They just they're patch tough. it together. I know. That's what they do. They're tough. They're tough. They're good. The both teams are really good. Like, you know, we, we, we do oohs and ahs over the Bills and the Dolphins and the Chiefs and both those teams, Titans and Bengals and the Ravens. Very good. A very good AFC. All right, we'll take a break and then we're going to do million dollar picks. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. All right, it's time for the million dollar picks. Do you want to do your soliloquy on why you're worried yes. about my health and Sal's Con- health and everyone's health these Con- next four concerned days? Concerned about both of you guys. The next 96 hours might be the most intense sports stretch we've ever had as an American sports viewing audience. It starts with Thanksgiving and three football games. I want you guys to budget your time and budget your energy. You can only watch those three games. I don't want to hear you're watching the Maui Invitational or there's some Blazers Sonics game on it late at night. Uh, you have to watch because you're, you know, you and and whoever are charting the angles or whatever you do when you watch those NBA games, you don't have time for that because the next morning is Friday and there is USA England. You're going to be all in. You're going to be watching right there. That is a huge sports weekend. And then we get to Saturday and you've got Michigan, Ohio State, followed by the Iron Bowl, followed by USC versus Notre Dame. And then Sunday, a full Sunday slate capped off with Eagles Packers at night. There is too much sports. And I'm worried about you guys you know, jumping the gun and caring about some random college soccer match or something, or, or Sal yeah. betting on some ridiculous NBA game out in the West Coast. There's no time for that. You need to pick your spots and space it out. We could put on 20 pounds and lose a lot of money this week. You need to be really smart. Sal is going to be like Hannibal Lecter in some <laughs> one of those glass booth rooms where they have to bring him the food and handcuff him to the side. That's how insane he's going to be. Million dollar picks, week 12. We're down a little. I'll tell the total at the end. I don't want to put it at the top. Um, we we hit a dark place last Sunday. We thought we were finally going to just absolutely clean house. And the Vikings were like, hold on, guys. Don't enjoy this even for five seconds. And we ended up splitting last week. We lost 350000 last week. Thanksgiving picks this week, I'm going to do at the end. First, let's go to Sunday. Okay. We have 100K. On the Jets money line with the Carolina adjusted over 31 and a half. That is plus 103. Here's the case. The case, Mike White, White Lotus creator Mike White, now in his Jets starting QB. He has to be better than Zach Wilson. The very least. And then make the case for Carolina to score points quick. Yeah, Sam Darnold's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. Steve Wilkes and and McAdoo, those guys are trying to show what they're going to do. Just let let everything out of the bag. Play loose. Score some points. Little kitchen sink game. We're calling this the ugly tree parlay. Little kitchen sink game with Mike White and Sam Darnold trying to score points. That's how we drew it up. 100K on that. 
Underdog Parlay, we're going to go back to Carolina against Denver with the Steelers in Indianapolis. We just love betting against Indianapolis and so being terrified by zombie Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan just haunting us. 50K plus 379 on that parlay. So that's our Underdog Parlay. We have a little special FanDuel boost option for Thanksgiving. How about this? Pat's adjusted line plus four and a half. Ramondre Stevenson, 25 yards receiving or higher. Okay. Hawkinson, 40 plus receiving yards or higher. You figure Pats are going to double Jefferson. That's what they do. They'll put their best cornerback on Thielen and it'll be a Hawkinson Osborne. Can you guys beat us type of game? You know the I'm game. I'm fine plan. with it. I'm yeah, fine with it. He's been doing it for 20 years. It's I love the Mario it. Mario Manningham strategy. Let Manningham beat us. Yep. They think that's oh. going to be around plus 450 after they do the Thanksgiving R- boost. Ramondre, so we'll, does he catch the ball? He sure does. Okay. Yeah, right. he does. Especially I him you, just a, a bulldozer, Mike Tolbert, just running people over. But okay. All right. No, I mean, if you've seen Mac Jones's next gen <laughs> stats charts, it is just quick to the right, <laughs> quick to the left, quick little over the middle, and nothing big. They will not take the training wheels off Mac Jones. And I appreciate it because if they win this game, they're going to be 7-4. That brings us to Thanksgiving. We're staying away from Cowboys Giants. Too many injuries. Staying away from Bill's Lions. Just just afraid. Just enjoy just it. Afraid just afraid of it. Enjoy the game. We don't need anything on it. Just enjoy it. You know what we need? We need a nice big appetizer. The best thing about Thanksgiving is it's not just an appetizer. It's usually something awesome, right? Before the turkey. That's like, like that's what my mom will bring out, like the pasta course. My mom's Buffalo like chicken dip. Yeah. Yeah, like just like major food. So our little appetizer is going to be a big appetizer with that Pats game. We're putting $500,000 on an adjusted Pats spread. Pats plus four and a half. Okay. With the under adjusted to 52 and a half. That is minus 115. We're going to throw the Chiefs in there as well. Oh, yeah. They're minus 1,200. That'll boost that to plus 102. Chiefs over the Rams. We don't see any world where the Rams beat the Chiefs. The Rams have packed it in. Who's starting at QB for them this week? It's either going to, it's likely going to be Perkins out of West, out of Virginia, an undrafted guy who they like, but he's a mobile guy. No one's seen anything. We'll see. I don't know. Perkins. Chiefs are, Chiefs are one game up on everyone in the AFC. They're not messing around. We're putting 500K on that. It is plus 102. Pats plus four and a half. Pats under 52 and a half. And the Chiefs just to win. And then our big bet. We're betting $777,000 in honor of our guy, Jim Creighton. Pats plus 116. Okay. To beat the Minnesota Vikings. The case would be. Just straight up. Minnesota left tackle is out. Darisol's not playing. Pats have had the number one defense by DVOA since week four. They have been able to pressure everybody. It's a little bit similar to what Dallas was able to do. Kirk Cousins, uh, motionless quarterback. Belichick loves that. And I think the Pats will squeak this out. And I think they're going to win. Not to mention Kirk Cousins. Prime time. All eyes. Belichick, short rest. Unbelievable stats on that. And, uh, and, I'm not out on this Minnesota team. I just think these are two bad matchups in a row. A little like the Bengals the first two weeks when they had TJ Watt, Micah Parsons, everybody freaked out that the Bengals were done and they weren't. They just had bad matchups. The beauty of this is if Minnesota loses, they're eight and four or they're eight and three. Yeah, they're fine. They're fine. And also, they're still winning their division. The Rams lost three straight in November last year. They won the Super Bowl. It's not the end of times if they lose two home games. It's just 
It's not great. All right. So that's our Jim Creighton special. $777,000. Okay. Pats plus 116 uh, to win. And we are down for the year. Do you want to know what we're down? No. It's, it's bad. It's, it's, it's bad, but we're going to win some back. I'll tell you next week what we're down. It's not a good number. I go to really dark places on Sundays. I don't want to have that on Thursday. We are going to win. Yeah. We are going to be in a good it's, place. And you and I are going to be texting just exclamation marks. And, and Kyle's going to be texting us exclamation marks. And let's then we're go. going to be doing let's go. And we're going to get going. And I feel really good about it. And the thing is, now we're being cautious with million dollar picks because in the old yeah. days when we were losing, we would have thrown in Team USA against England and worked them in the water. Should we're we? Not doing Should that. we? How about Portugal, Ghana? Should we? <laughs> Not happening. Those are the Million Dollar Picks. It's Thanksgiving edition for week 12. Peter Schrager, good to see you. Have a great holiday, man. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights, bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay that can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. All right, Mike Birbiglia is here. He has a new one-man show called The Old Man in the Pool that I saw when it was in LA, and now it's yeah. in Broadway. So explain to me, why LA then Broadway? What, what <laughs> is it like working out the kinks? Like you I can't mean, start right away on Broadway? How's What's the thought process? It's so funny. It's not, it was... In hindsight, it was so not thought through. Like people ask me that a lot. I go, I don't know. Uh, the last time I did the show, my last show was called The New One. It's on Netflix if you yeah. want to watch it. And it was all about having a child, how I never wanted to have a child. And then I had a child about all the ways I was right. And then I was wrong. And uh, and I did that one off Broadway and then on Broadway. And then we brought it to the Amundsen, uh, CTG, downtown Los Angeles. And then this time around... Uh, they just said, hey, do you just want to bring your new show, your next show here first? And uh, we just said, sure. Like it, it was a, it's this gorgeous theater, Mark Taper Theater, yeah. downtown LA. It's just gorgeous. And so it just didn't seem like any reason not to do it. And so I, you know, I, I came out and we had a great time. And then some producers, Broadway producers came out and said, we'd like to bring this to New York. And then it just so happened that a show got moved from Lincoln Center to the spring and they had nothing in the theater. And so they were like, hey, you could do the Vivian Beaumont Theater, which is like literally like one of the most beautiful theaters in the world. Like it's it's actually a lot like the Mark Taper, but it's a thousand seats. It's like 200 seats bigger. Like no seat is farther than like 50 feet or something. It's gorgeous. It's like three quarters in the round. And it's been, it's just been a trip, you know? Like, I mean, I'm, you know, the shows, you saw the show. It's like all about death and mortality. Yeah. And the reviews are great and everything. But 
for me, I'm always just like waiting for the other shoe to drop. I, mean, I wrote a show about death. You know, I'm waiting for the death on the other end of my career, basically. <laughs> oh, what's the ideal venue for a show like that? Because I saw it in person. I thought it was awesome, but it was okay. not a giant theater, right? It felt pretty intimate. Yeah. Felt it's like get- you were connected to basically anyone who was in there. But like, can you can you go too big or is it just like a different kind of show? It's like, like you couldn't do you know, like the, a basketball arena, like what, what's no. like the limit? So, so for me, like you look at like the Chicago theater and for me, that's like 3000 seats. For me, that's the limit upon, you know, it, at a certain point, if people are so far away, like one time I was, I saw Neil Young at Madison square garden and I had pretty good seats and I was still looking at the screen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. At a certain point you just go, if you're looking at the screen, you shouldn't be at the show. Right. And I feel the same way. Like I, what was it? Dane Cook started like the basketball arena thing for yeah. comics. And I never, and people would go and it would sell out and they would sell it multiple nights. Now a lot of people do it that way. But I always thought that kind of defeated the purpose of what if it was like to see a comic or a comedian or what you're doing. Like there's an intimacy to it. I remember seeing, I saw Seinfeld and, Jay Leno in the eighties in Connecticut at like a no club kidding. that was like a hundred people. Wow. And it was like incredible, yeah, you know? And, and then at the same time you could see Seinfeld, you know, in any basketball arena, it'd be a different experience, but there's something about like feeling like you could almost walk onto the stage that I, I think it's like a different energy, right? For me, like the best, the best audience experience I've ever had is at the comedy cellar in New York city. Mm. which is for my money, I think is the best club in the world. I've gone to a lot of clubs and it's, it's like 150 seats on McDougal street. And on any given night, Ray Romano pop in a few weeks ago. I saw Chris Rock will pop in like it's wild. And, and like that is for me, that's amazing. Cause you feel like you're essentially in someone's living room and the yeah. funniest person on the planet is just getting up and talking about their family or politics or whatever. And you go, fuck, like this is a, this is unbelievable. And then when you scale out, when you scale out, I just think that the, it's all about like, it's all about creating a situation where like with my show, it's like the design is done by this Tony award winning designer, Beowulf Barrett. And the, and the sound is, is done by this guy, Kai Harada. And it, it's perfect. So like every, if the bigger you get, the more you have to calibrate it. And like, make sure it's all the best uh, stuff for, so that the audience has the best experience. I'm obsessed with that, though. I'm, it's funny you should ask that because I'm actually I'm obsessed with what the audience's experience is, because ultimately what you wanted to feel like is when you saw it at Mark Taper, where you're laughing with a group of people and you're and that's part of what makes it magical is that you're laughing with the group of people, but you're also close enough to the performer that you feel intimate with the performer. Yeah. And you. I mean, you mentioned like the the sound and the light, like all of it's subtle, but really smart. Like I was like, hey, it's an experience, but it's not this overpowering experience. Every decision is carefully made. And then the stuff you're doing physically, you know, you're not like a pratfall comedian, but you're using your body in certain ways and you're lying down at some points. There's like this little ramp wall behind you that you're kind of kind of bouncing against a couple of times. And yeah. So you're moving around in a way that I'm, I'm not losing interest. You're not just like sitting on a stool for an hour. So I'm I'm sure you like probably looked at some one man shows from the past and probably picked stuff that worked, didn't work, things you didn't like, things you liked, and just kind of came up with your own version of it. Well, yeah, it's like 
I like I started writing these things. This is my fifth solo show. So the first one was in 2008. It was called Sleepwalk with Me, and I was really lucky yeah because Nathan Lane presented it, and it, it was it really like put me on the map in New York to to be allowed to do these things because like you know not a lot of people are able to even you know get an audience to show up to a solo show. It's you know and. And so when I did that show, I saw like all the shows on and off Broadway that were solo shows. And I saw like, I really like this designer. I like this director. I like this. And I started working with my director, Seth Barish. And I basically, I saw this show that he did called The Tricky Part by Martin Moran. It was a, not a comedy. It was very, very serious. But I was like, that's the aesthetic I want, which is to say that the design elements, we always want the design elements to augment what's happening already as opposed to overpowering them. You know, sometimes you see movies, especially, you know, you probably watch a lot of sports documentaries where you go, come on, just get out of the way. And can we just watch Michael Jordan? Like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not naming names of documentaries, but, <laughs> <laughs> but like certain ones, you just go, come on, just get out of the way. The footage speaks for, you know, a great documentary that sports documentary that I actually watched last night is uh, Solo, Free. Free solo. Free solo, yeah, yeah. So last night I watched Free Solo, and she's like, "They did, that director did an amazing job of just like show us the goddamn footage, <laughs> right? <laughs> like this guy climbs up mountains without harnesses, like just show us that a lot." Well, I remember and, growing up, they used to the early days of HBO. They used to run this Cosby special that he did all the time. We sat in the stool, himself. yeah. Yeah, And it, that was like his version of a one-man show. And there was something compelling about it where I, I don't really feel like he even moved around. And it was just like a couple cameras. And he was just, you know, at the peak of his powers as a comic at that point. And I remember being mesmerized. But then there were other ones. Like, I, I never got the Spalding Gray thing, but yeah. a lot of people loved it, right? But I just, for whatever reason, it wasn't for me. But the evolution of it, you know, I, I one of the things I'm interested with you is how do you decide this is the direction I'm going with versus being the traditional comic who just works on a set every year I change my act and whatever. What is it? What's the most appealing thing about this format to you that resonated with you? So I just I wanted to make when I was in college, I wanted to make movies and write plays. I wanted to, and that's what I was studying. Yeah. I'm obsessed, you know, obsessed I was obsessed with Woody Allen movies, obsessed with James L. Brooks movies. You know, all those 70s films, Altman, you know, Chinatown, that whole era of movies just like really hooked me. And and then I got out of college and I was like, oh, I guess like you can't really sign up. <laughs> There's no application process to be a screenwriter. It's just not. So a what, job. where are you living at this point? Uh, I, I was at Georgetown and I was uh, so living in D.C. with my girlfriend. And then I moved to New York basically because I was like. All right. There's no jobs as a screenwriter, but I I'm working the door, seating people at the Washington D.C. Improv Comedy Club, and so I was learning a lot. Like I was like a sponge. Like I was just like, oh, you know, whatever. Chappelle would come in, or Margaret Cho would come in, or or George Lopez and Brian Regan, and I would just be like, oh, I I mean, I would learn so much, and then I would ask them tons of questions, and so that was like comedy college for me. And so at a certain point, I was like, oh, OK, I guess, you know, it's like that thing of like, if, you know, if you ask enough questions, then you go like, oh, I guess I could try to be an opening act 
anywhere that'll have me. So, yeah. so I just started cold calling. I mean, I was like a telemarketer for myself. Like I'm just like cold calling clubs like all over the country. Hey, I'm Mike Birbiglia. I want I'm I'm a comedian. I work at the Washington DC improv whatever. And I just drove my mom's station wagon around the country to the worst gigs, just the worst. I mean, what's so funny is like I'm working with like a vocal coach right now in, you know, and I, we do like exercises and warm up exercises. And she's like, it was funny because she goes like, oh, it's funny because you're projecting when you're looking over here, you're doing this thing where you're projecting behind you to the people over here. And I go, yeah, I'm not trained in that. It's just literally I've played the worst venues in the world. Like I've performed in cafeterias and like made it work. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's so so f- uh, yes. Yeah, so then I moved to New York and then I sort of merged stand up comedy and, and, and storytelling playwriting into this thing. That's how it happened. Yeah. The, any comic I've ever talked to, they always say the most underrated in a good way and a bad way, part of the whole job is how many terrible places you play it's unbe- it's and, and how it's almost like you block it out of your mind. It's like this traumatic thing that you just repress and you never think about again. The time you're in the Holiday Inn and like Rochester and a wedding showed up and, you know, seven terrible things happened and you just kind of, that's it. You try never to think about it again. I remember one time I showed up at a college and the, and the, uh, it was like midnight gig. I'm like, midnight? What? How come it's at midnight? I show up and they have me in a, <laughs> in a, in the center of a walkathon for cancer. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm literally, there's a people walking all night and I'm oh supposed to sort of like, like perform comedy, like an oscillating desk fan, you know, and it was just, and you make it work. You just go, well, yeah, this is what this is. And that's why, like, it's so funny. I was at the cellar comedy cellar the other night and Ray Romano came in and, and I'll see him. And by the way, his, his new stuff is amazing. People have a chance to see him. He's so good. And, and I feel like that's the common bond. Like, I, I don't know Ray that well, but I know he's performed in cafeterias and gymnasiums like I have. And we have that common bond. Like we've all done these hell things. So the, with the, with the one man shows, how, how long are we talking carving out whatever you want to say, making the material, testing it out? How do you test out a one man show compared to if you're testing out, like when somebody does a normal act, they get to test little pieces at it, right? They'll go and they'll work, go to the same club for five straight days and they'll work on the same 15 minutes, whatever. But you're doing a one-man show, you can't really do that. So how do you do it? So it's both. Like, I, like first of all, the first like year or so, I'll perform in like comedy clubs and rock clubs and I'll just call it the same thing that my podcast is called, which is working it out. It'll be just Mike Birbiglia working it out. And so people know who are on my email list and stuff like they know like that's not the finished show because that's what I always call it. So this one was called working it out. And then this is that, like three- that's a, that's a pretty big leap of faith to take in 2022 when everything's <laughs> screenshotted and grabbed before it's done. No, I know. I know. I mean, some, it is a leap of faith because, because that's true. Like there, but I feel like I've, I don't know for years I've flown under the radar enough that nobody's done that to me, but like, I yeah. know like Chappelle, for example, like locks up people's phones and stuff. There's people like that who are so high profile that they have to do that. And yeah, fortunately, I mean, I haven't hit that point yet, but <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, 
it's yeah. So I work out the, the in clubs, and I honestly like like in the show, for example, like you know the re- the things that were in the initial incarnation are like swimming at the YMCA pool as a kid and swimming as a YMCA pool as an adult and how much I hated it and and the wrestling joining the wrestling team in high school and how much I hate how terrible I was at that all that stuff was sort of in the initial incarnation of it and then I'm just working out the punchlines is like what if you know a lot of comedy I feel like is figuring out the Venn diagram of what you think is funny and what the audience thinks is funny and then finding that middle in between and then going, Oh, okay. That's what I'm going to talk about more. Cause that, yeah. that that's where, cause the whole thing is just a communal experience. Like, like this show, the thing that's been wild about this show is it's all about death. And so I've had like really intense conversations with people. This woman came in LA to the show and she goes, you know, when I was, at the show, like my dad died a few years ago and I felt like I was laughing with my dad, you know, and I'm just like, that's great. Like to me, like com- like the comedy that I like the most is stuff where the person is talking about stuff that that uh, is kind of taboo or that you wouldn't bring up in like a, a social situation with a stranger. But then fundamentally, like what you're doing is bringing it up with strangers. Right. That, to me, that's what's fun about it. It's what's exciting about it. Yeah, I was going to say you thrive on not the fully uncomfortable, but like the partially uncomfortable. Th- conversations and things we might have with a few people, but not with people we don't know. Yeah, it's funny. Like the my favorite joke in the show right now to perform is about my grandfather. <laughs> he died. He was he. uh he died from heart attack when he was 56 and he was, he worked in a bodega in Bushwick. And one day he just, he just, a regular customer came in and goes, how's it going, Joe? And he just keeled over the counter and died. And I go, which is sad, but it's also a pretty funny response. If you think about it, like in some ways he was the original comedian of the family. Like that's an extraordinary level of commitment. But like, I love performing that. Cause it's like, we know we can laugh at this, but like, we have to, this is ridiculous. Is the Netflix the Netflix factor with your stuff? Is that a hundred percent a good thing? Is it ninety percent a good thing? You're you're opening the material you've done to just swat swaths of people, right? All kinds yeah. of people, people who are just clicking around. You don't know what their intentions are. They stumble across your thing. They might like it. They might not. Might not even be paying attention fully. I feel like with your stuff, you really have to be. You have to be in on it. It's not something you're doing while you're also like looking through Instagram. You know what I mean? No, I th- I I was l- very lucky with the timing of Netflix because because I was early on in my career. I wanted to be on HBO because that's the that was always the cool place to be. And there's no commercials. And yeah. like I think fundamentally commercials fuck up uh, comedy specials. Yeah, like it just it movies too. You know, like you can't be like Geico in the middle of a fucking like experience, you know, because it, it's like a trance. You're trying you you have someone in a trance and then there's like and then it's like, you know, Honey Nut Cheerios have oats or whatever. It's just not great for comedy and, and that experience. So I was like so early on in my career, I was like, oh, I got I want to get a special on HBO. But I wasn't I wasn't edgy in the way that HBO viewed things as edgy. Like I actually do view what I do as edgy in a certain way in the sense that that if it doesn't go well, it really doesn't go well. Like to me, that's what edgy is. 
Yeah. You know, and, ba- and back then it was edgy. It was just like, oh, it's just the person who like, eh, you know, like Carlin or something. He curses a lot and this and that. And I love Carlin, but like, it's just like a kind of a two dimensional way of looking at edgy. And, and, uh, so I never was on HBO and then Netflix comes along and they're basically like buying up libraries of comedy specials and just throwing them up on streaming. So all of a sudden I had a special for Comedy Central in 2008 uh, called what I should have said was nothing. And I want to say streaming came around like got popular in like 11 or 12 or something. Yeah, 12. All of a sudden people they had bought up this special that no one had watched on comedy central and millions of people are watching it and quoting it back to me in the streets and coming at me. And I was like, ah, oh, this is a dream come true. It's like best case scenario. So Netflix became like the HBO I had always dreamed of. And then I, and then after that I had thank God for jokes and my girlfriend's boyfriend and the new one on there. And maybe this one, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I don't know what the hell is going on in streaming right now. It's a wild time. Well, I totally agree with you about breaks interrupting the flow and let's take a break. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. When you have a good team of skilled, talented people, good things are bound to happen. That's true in sports. It's true in business. It can be true with digital companies or websites, podcast networks. If you're running a small business, one of the best places to look for those people is LinkedIn Jobs. They have what you need to find and hire qualified professionals you can't find anywhere else. And unlike other job boards, LinkedIn Jobs has a vast network of professionals, like more than a billion people. And it makes the whole hiring process intuitive and easy to manage. They're constantly launching new features to help make the hiring process more manageable. They even created a tool to help write job descriptions recently. Over 2.5 million small businesses trust LinkedIn when it comes to hiring. And over 86% find a qualified candidate within the first day. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Simmons. That's linkedin.com slash Simmons to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? This is something I've thought about a lot over the last 25 years. Sometimes little kids enter your life. Sometimes you're just searching for that extra hour. Sometimes it feels like all of a sudden it's three o'clock, four o'clock. And it's like, where'd the day go? I barely did anything. The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you so that you can make it a priority. And therapy can help you figure that out. A therapist can guide you through the process of defining your values and understanding your priorities. So you know what things you can spend your time on that will really fulfill you. Otherwise, you'll always be wishing for more time. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn how to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Bill Simmons today to get 10% off your first month, 10%. That's betterhelp.com slash Bill Simmons. So you're coming up in that Comedy Central generation when everybody who did comedy for more than a year got a, at least a half hour Comedy Central special. And it was <laughs> it was the t-shirt cannon just shooting them out. And I never I never knew which ones to watch. And you're right. Like yes. Netflix comes in and gives some semblance of at least, all right, if it's on Netflix, there has to be a reason it's on Netflix. It's just not. But going back to the days when I grew up with the 
the HBO days and the young comedian specials and things like that. And you felt like, man, if somebody's on this young comedian special, they, they're going to be pretty good, right? They would have three or four comedians. And you look yeah. at all the people that pass through that vortex. Amazing. Then yeah. Letterman was there in the 80s. Oh, yeah. um, last stages of Carson. Um, but then Comedy Central kind of took it over. And now it feels like Netflix, I would say, owns the real estate, right? For the most part, right? They certainly bought. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> they own the real estate because they paid for it. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> they, like they, yeah, they, uh, yeah. I mean, I, but I don't know. Yeah, they definitely. Yeah, between Ali Wong and John Mulaney and Rock and everybody, like Chappelle, they, they, yeah, Chappelle, they, they bought up tons of comedy specials, and uh, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know where it's all where it all lands. To be honest, that all that stuff, but it's been ultimately like good. I think it's yeah. I think it's I think I think Netflix has been good for comedy in the sense. Yeah, there's there's no commercials, and also the algorithm actually is friendly to people mm. like to people like me, like Mulaney, like Mulaney blew up a few years ago. Like he got so big, and then all of a sudden. A lot of the people watching Mulaney specials, the algorithm sent them to me, which is great. It's, a, it's very good for me. Cute little algorithm action. No, I know. But come on over here. I know. If you like come this. Come on over here, algorithm people. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. going to really like this. <laughs> who's um? Who's your class? Gaffig Gaffigan, too. Gaffigan's another one. His, right. Because his, you know, he's pretty clean. I'm pretty clean. Like his algorithm sending people to me is like unbelievable. So who's your class? I, I always love to ask, comics this like the uh in the sports you have like your like in the nba you have or lebron came in with wade and carmelo and all those people and it's kind of like his little mini generation who's who so makes up your little mini generation so mine is uh me and dimitri martin and kevin hart did new faces together wow and uh yeah and then it's so funny because i think a lot of people pair me with like Gaffigan and Brian Regan, but actually like I'm, I'm like a decade younger than that group, but like yeah. some of my specials started airing at the same time. Um, and, um, yeah, but the, you know, the big one and then Mulaney too, like Mulaney is like five years younger than me, but sometimes people pair me with him cause he and I toured together for a long time. And, um, uh, <clears throat> yeah. And then Schumer, I mean, yeah, Amy Schumer was in that space. Yeah. Um, she was younger than me, but but yeah, it's uh yeah, I mean what's wild, I think one of the strangest things about comedy in my in my experience, because I've been in it, you know, I've been doing it since the 90s, and it went from being this thing that was like a niche uh, nightclub thing to people like Kevin Hart playing like stadium. Yeah. And 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 also like becoming like cultural touchstones and 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 becoming people thinking what pe what comedians say uh is important. So like it's weird sometimes people ask me to weigh in on different comedians saying controversial things and I'm like yeah it's like I'm not I'm not in charge I'm not accountable for what that person says and I'm not in charge of what that person says. They can say whatever they want. Like <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, like at a certain point, uh, comedy and some people, some people credit this to 
kind of for better or worse to the brilliance of Jon Stewart. Because they'll go, well, the problem is Jon Stewart was so good at having kind of a point of view that carried over into people's political beliefs and the way they view the world and like everything. But all of a sudden, people were like, we should look to comedians for how we think about it. It's like, no, 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 that's definitely not what we should do. Yeah, it's it's weird how that comes and goes, right? Because I think people did look like to to Lenny Bruce at that a little bit. And they looked at Pryor for that a little bit. And they looked at George Carlin for that eventually, the, especially the later part of his career. But then there were other comedians. Why would I have ever, <laughs> ever used like their thoughts to shape my own like worldview? Like a, a lot of the times we looked at them as just like, you know, make me laugh comedian boy or whatever it was. And I, something definitely shifted. You're right. Over the last seven, eight years. And I don't know where it goes. I know, I know you get that question all the time and I don't even want to ask it, but I, I don't know. I don't know what the next evolution of it is. Even like watching Chappelle on SNL this week and he did his monologue and some people thought it was good. Some people were horrified and, yeah. and it just, it just feels like everything like that now has to have some sort of massive reaction that goes nine different ways versus just somebody coming out and being funny. Well, it's funny. Cause like I, I was playing like Nashville recently. I was at the Ryman, which is amazing. Holy cow. If you ever have a chance to go to the Ryman, that's a, that's a place to see a show. Right. And <clears throat> this guy, I ended up in this conversation with this guy who's like Trump supporter. I think he was, I want to say he was driving me to the airport or something like that. He's a nice guy. He goes, what do you do? I go, I'm a comedian. He goes, uh, you can't say anything anymore. <laughs> I go, you can. I go, you can. You can. I go, I mean, this is my job. Like, I say a lot of stuff that you probably think you can't say, but uh, you can. You can actually say whatever you want. It's just that uh, no one, first of all, no one's getting arrested for it. I mean, Lenny Bruce got arrested. Like, we have to zoom out on history here. Right. <laughs> like, what? Like, we used to live in an era where people would say things that offended Christians or offended this group or that group. And the people fucking get carted out and they and then go to jail, right? And so it's like, let's just all calm down. People aren't getting arrested. People are getting attacked online and defamed by strangers. And because there's amplification of those things that is unprecedented in the internet age, we've never seen anything like this in our lives. It's off-putting and it's also misleading because you go like, oh, everyone's mad about X, Y, Z. It's like, actually, not, everyone's not mad. Uh, like a few people are mad. And then like a thousand people amplified that. And, yeah. and, then, and then CNN ran an uh, article that says, XYZ monologue is controversial. It's like, is it controversial? I'm not sure. That's, it's a, might want to fact check that, uh, that headline. Well, I love the news stories when it's like, you know, whatever, Chappelle monologue causes a uh, big ruckus online. And then the sources are just tweets. No, I and, know. And just this, like tweets of random people. Tweets, it's like 12, 12 tweets in a row of people I've never heard of. <laughs> and they're like, these people are upset. I'm like, I don't know who these people are. Yeah. It's, no, no. It's it just, is, yeah. It's very strange times. I don't know where it goes. When you're when you're doing the uh when you're doing a one man show and you're doing it night after night after night, and you have to do it pretty much the same way. 
And this is why I was so fascinated watching, because your show's like 80 minutes. Mm-hmm. It's not like mm-hmm. it's a 40 minute show. Like you're out there yeah. 80 minutes, there's no break. And it's got to have, it's all the material you've rehearsed over and over again. And you're trying to do the same beats. Physically, you're in these spots and, you know, you, you're basically like an offensive lineman running a playbook and it's like, all right, this is now I got to go here and I got to block the defensive end on this or whatever. Like it it has to be right. Do you feel like you're trapped in that at all? Or do you, or do you have the ability to audible around it, ad lib, have fun? Can you ad lib too much? Like I, I, like just doing that night after night, I I feel like I personally would go nuts after like day five (laughs) and be like, all right, I'm going to fuck around in the 20 minute mark this time. But you kind of can't do that, right? No, because I ultimately have to deliver like some, like in one way, I think about the show as this thing that I can hold in my hands. And it's like, I have this thing and I need to convey it to these people who are gathered here. And I know that there's like 10 aspects of the show that really have to land in a certain way. And if they don't, then I won't have delivered the thing. Right. So it's yeah. like, but the, but the, uh, the inverse of that, as opposed to like a straight, like an ensemble play with 10 actors is the audience is different every night. This is like a thing that when I when I was starting out in comedy, I was driving my mom's station wagon around the country, and I used to listen to CDs uh, called On Comedy, and there are interviews with all different comedians. And there's like, it was like Jerry Seinfeld, Johnny Carson, Bill Cosby, and so Woody Allen. Like I I listen to like, this is pre podcast, of course. This is like I listen to like a hundred hours of comedy interviews over and over again. Steve Martin, and the Jerry Seinfeld one is probably one of the best ones that I've ever heard. And he says. With stand-up comedy, the audience is your scene partner, and 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 it's like it's a you know it's a sh- it's a play it's a scene but they're your scene partner. So the exciting thing is your scene partner is different every night, and you actually don't even know what they're gonna say. They can groan, they can you know I was talking about how much <clears throat> in the show the other night opening night is always like a stressful thing because you're like ah oh, it's gonna be tense and people are gonna go oh there's Ben Stiller. Is that, you know, like right. who, who about whoever, whatever star is there? Is that Regina Spector? And <laughs> and uh, the and so uh, it's nerve wracking because they're not really focused. And then but uh, this is kind of a gift in a certain way. There's a guy in the third row and I'm talking about it. I go, there's a lot of pee. You know, the reason there's so much chlorine in the pool is because there's a lot of pee in the pool. And I go, I study. I, I look this up. The research is not in our favor. Like I I go, I read about a study where a scientist measured a 200,000 gallon public pool and concluded that there was 20 gallons of pure urine. And this audience member in the third row, he literally audibly goes, no. (laughs) And it was, and it was, and I was stopped the show. I walked over and go, sir, it is not that type of show. You're not supposed to get that vocally explicit. And I, I kept going back to him through the show. It's like, that's such a gift in a certain way, like people experiencing it like that. When you also, you have the running bit of if somebody shows up late. Oh, yeah. You, that's like, nothing makes you happier than somebody who comes in nine minutes into the show and thinks that nobody's going to notice that they're nine minutes late. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, it's... uh. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I try to, I try to have an improv essentially for every alternate version of what happens, not, you know, phones going off and all this kind of stuff, because also then you can't, 
you can't get too mad about step two. You have to sort of keep an even keel about like there was a whole thing recently on Broadway where someone's device went off and the performer like got mad at that person. But the device was like a hearing device. It wasn't uh. a phone. And so then people were going after that actor. It was like, oh, such a mess. But it's like I was saying about the like the the person saying you can't say anything anymore. You can, but it's everything's amplified. And so the stakes feel weirdly higher than mm. they, they used to. But but yeah, I, I don't feel constricted by the show. I know you mean, but the audience gives you this sort of X factor. And the other thing is, and I don't want to give away what happens in the show, but I have a thing where I bet I, I essentially try to. Ha- I, I right. Try, I you're, you're listening, trying to elicit a reaction. Yeah, yes. I know. Yeah. Near the, it's in the last third. Yeah. So that's different every night. The thing you said about the scene partner made me think of sports because yes. like the best basketball players, Jordan was like this, Larry Bird was like this, Magic was like this, especially. They, you know, sometimes you only got to play on the road in a city once, right? So like Bird used to love going to the West Coast because it would be like the one time the people in Portland and Denver and yes. Phoenix, Golden State got to see him and he would always play really well because it was like the one time. And I think... uh you know, you read the stuff about Springsteen, who's been doing these three, four hour shows for, you know, 50 plus years at this point. It's the same mentality. It's like, I don't, yeah. somebody there might never have seen me live before and I got to give them the show. And so it becomes this mindset that you just can't, I think once you have it, you don't, you don't lose it. That's really funny about Bird. I, you know, I grew up on Bird. I grew up in, in, in uh, Worcester, Massachusetts. And in, in, in I the, saw that. I went to Holy Cross. Oh, yeah, you did. You, that's where yeah, my dad yeah. went. Yeah. Yeah, you were Shrewsbury, right? I was Shrewsbury. And so I, I was, I grew up in the 80s. It's so funny, like how sports affect you growing up. Like I grew up in the 80s and I just, you know, so it was like amazing Celtics team uh, and terrible football team. Like the terrible. worst. Yeah, like thought we thought, we're, thought they were going to move. <laughs> yeah, like terrible. Patriots are so bad. And I just, in my mind, is how naive you are as a kid. You, I just thought, you know, basketball teams are good and football teams are bad. Like I didn't think it was ours. It was just yeah. in general. Right. <clears throat> but and then, but it, for, then it flips. Then it flips. Then it flips. And then, uh, but but I, I thought I was going to be Larry Bird, you know, like I didn't. I literally, you, you, you grow up in Massachusetts and you look at Larry Bird and you go, well, that's, that's me. That's what I'm going to do. And then, you know, then you play basketball and then you're in, in tears and, uh, and then you don't, and then that's not what happens. But, but yeah, I, I was, a, I, I had that experience growing up. I wrote, um, I wrote a basketball book once and mo- a lot of the prologue was about growing up in Massachusetts, but seeing like what Bird meant to kind of the whole region of New England after a while where it became like the superhero where anything seemed possible with them. And I think different cities have had that with guys. And now it's starting to fade away a little bit because the guys jump teams and they bounce around a little bit more. And But Curry has it now. And is that right? Curry, Curry has in the Bay Area is very similar to the Bird thing. Like they're just, they're completely all in. They think he's a superhero. Yeah. They feel like no matter what the situation is, he could score 15 points in three minutes and he's just yeah. like, he's the guy. And I just feel like that's like the final level you can get to <laughs> as an athlete. And I'm always amazed, like some guys don't care, which is fine. It's their prerogative, but some guys are happy to just play three, four cities. But 
I would much rather be the superhero in one city. Well, it seems like LeBron is the ultimate example of that, at least from the documentary I watched, that documentary that's amazing about LeBron. Yeah, and KD, I mean, a lot of the basketball players now, I think they just don't think of it the same way. Maybe they shouldn't. Maybe that era is like gone, but it, it does seem like Curry has it, Giannis has it. It'd be interesting to see if uh, if Luca potentially has it. Do you have athletes that come to your shows? What's oh what's God. the athlete status? I, you know, like every now and then I'll, I'll I'll talk to someone who, who it turns out likes what what I do. I'm like I did a Michael J. Fox benefit recently with Blake Griffin, and he said he was going to come to the show, and that was really cool. But yeah, I don't really. I mean, well, I'm I'm someone who doesn't. I don't follow the box scores, but I'm but I love going to games. Like right. I love going to a Nets game or a Knicks game. I love going to the U.S. Open, like all that stuff. Because I'm just, I marvel at it. I mean, I just marvel at watching greatest people in the world. I, I mean, at anything. Yeah. The U.S. Open would be a good one-man show location. Oh, my God. Gorgeous. I always thought that's the coolest. I just don't know why people don't steal that setup for other things. I'll tell it's people. It's not like gigantic. <laughs> yeah, and the other thing is like, my what I always tell tourists about the U.S. Open, that the best trick about going to the U.S. Open is to go in the daytime in the early rounds because then you see like the 16 and unders and like the different like and there's no one watching and you're right. watching like some of the best players in the world and it's like you and like 10 people. Jesus. Yeah, it's amazing. How many Broadway shows do you know ahead of time how many you're doing? Like, do you know, like, I'm going to do 100, I'm going to do 50, I'm going to keep this going for a year? What's the, what's like the end game? I think we announced 70. I think right now it's like 86 or something like that. I'd like to do it for six months or a year. I, I, I'm totally different from what I, where I used to be. I, because I have a seven and a half year old daughter, I just want to be home. Uh, yeah. I, I've been on the road for like 20 years. You know, since I started driving my mom's station wagon around when I was in my 20s, I've just been on the road and I'm hitting this age where I'm just like, oh yeah, I got to figure out like a local plan. <laughs> this is right. crazy. <laughs> Yeah, especially especially pre-post pandemic like like entering pandemic I was 41 I'm 44 holy shit is 41 different from 44 well the other thing is especially with daughters that the 6 to 10 range for daughters is like you're just never getting that back if you miss any of it no. I have a lot of regrets I worked pretty hard when my when my daughter was that age and you know because they turned 12 and then that's it they're yeah they they still want to hang out with you, but it's not the same. Yeah. When when they're like seven, eight, nine, it's like that's that's your that's your bud. You know, that's and they want to they want to be where you are. And then eventually, you know, the the height of school dynamics start coming in and all of a sudden you're less interesting. I tell now, you, uh, now I'm now I'm writing your next one man show. <laughs> yeah. What's well, funny? My daughter that, dumped me. <laughs> that's some sometimes I'm on stage and I I I show this. I don't even think this was in the sh version in Los Angeles, but I I show this bracelet that my yeah. daughter made me that says silly. And uh, she goes, dad, it's to remind you to be silly. And I'm like, oh, thank God. I do need mm. a reminder sometimes. But like, I do get choked up sometimes on stage when I think about my daughter. And, and, and to your point about does it get boring saying the same thing? It's like, no, because like sometimes emotions sneak up on you. You know, yeah. it's like you say something a different way or you tell it a slightly different way or the audience reacts a different way. They go, oh, and then, it makes you think of your daughter or your parents, or whatever. 
and it and it makes you emotional. I start almost start crying on stage the other night. So what what kind of reactions do you get afterwards from people? Because you know it's a pretty emotional show. It's fun, but it's also there's you know there's some real stuff going on. So do you what what happens after? I had this guy come recently where he he came back a second time and he was like, I love this show. He's like, because because I brought my twelve year old son and. When we drove home, he wanted to he wanted to talk about the afterlife. I was like, "Oh, that's amazing!" It's like to me, that's you know, a lot of times with plays, they talk about like what's what is you know what's the call to action, you know, and and what do you feel when you leave? And a lot of times, people say to me, "I called my parents afterwards. I told them I love them. I called my kids. I called my you know my old friend." And it's like. For me, especially now, like we're in, I mean, for being honest about what era of we're living in right now, it's like, this is fucking hell on earth. Like, this is a crazy moment in history yeah. between, the, between the pandemic and the political climate and just like all the stuff going on. It's like, if you can do a thing where you connect with a thousand strangers for an hour and a half at Lincoln Center and People laugh a lot and they cry a lot and they think about who they love and then they call the person they love after. It's like, well, I want to be a part of that. Like, I'll take that. I'll take that for a year if they'll give it to me. What do you get recognized for the most? Is it the Netflix stuff or is it something else? <laughs> yeah, that and also like, re, like I was in the Taylor Swift antihero video recently. So like I saw that. that. <laughs> that's <laughs> a wild thing. That's a good song too. That was cool that you were <laughs> yeah, there. It's great. It's a great yeah. song. You know, it's a funny thing about that is when, <laughs> so we're shooting the video and, um, and, and me and the other actors, Mary Elizabeth and, and John and Taylor are like in this like side room in Los Angeles and Taylor goes to, to us, she's directing the video. She wrote the video. She goes, so, so it's going to be this part of the song here. I'm going to play the song. This is like this summer before it all came out. She goes, this is this is the part of the song and she's playing the song on her phone and I'm like fully like bopping like I'm like dancing and it's embarrassing but like she can write a fucking song you know like right. these are these are great songs and so but it was such a surreal experience to be with the artist and you're like you you're like dancing in a way that's it's sort of embarrassing but it's also like it's just surreal and cool. The other thing is people recognize uh, Fault in Our Stars I was in, which is like this. Yeah, this that's a good movie. Cult phenomenon. And I play like yeah. the youth pastor. And then like Orange is the New Black. I was on for a few seasons. And so there's that. <clears throat> and then no. Billions. Billions. Yeah, I was going to say there's some Billions seasons. too, right? Yeah, yeah. Billions. I was on for two seasons. And yeah, I mean, I've, I, and the other thing is like Trainwreck with, with Amy Schumer and Judd Apatow. Like I was lucky enough to play opposite Amy and Brie Larson and, and Bill Hader. And like, I mean, it, I feel like I'm so lucky. I really do. I feel so lucky with, with what I've, I've worked really hard and then I've, uh, I've, I've caught, I've, uh, I've had some good bounces. Well, the, the billions has like its own weird psycho audience too. Oh my God. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, I forget. Did your guy die audience. in that? What happened to your guy? in that? No, 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 no. So, so I was, so I, I play like this billionaire uh, venture capitalist named yeah. Oscar Langstrat, and he and he's uh he's in a relationship with Asia Kate Dillon's character. Yeah. But then we have like a breakup, and it, we there's like a business double crossing situation. 
Was it, I'm not, so I'm not. But it was really anymore. compliment. Just wrote you off because he's being a dick. Like what happened? <laughs> no, no, Brian. First of all, Brian and <laughs> Brian and David wrote me on in the first place. When they no, were I writing, know they did. When they were writing the show. They called me. They go, we have this. We're gonna write this part sort of towards you if you want to do it. And I, I, you know, I wrote. They just the wanted to hang out with you. I, I <laughs> yeah, yeah, right of through course, them. of course. Yeah, but so, uh, they just wanted you around. I just want to be in rounders too. That's all. That's my whole goal. But, uh, God damn it. You know, that this is 15 years of I know. me badgering those guys for rounders too. It's so easy. It seems you, like it's You just get happen. Damon. Just get Damon. I think he'll do it. Come on. What's he do doing? It. No, no. He's I think, the, he's, made, I think he's made hundreds of millions of dollars. Why can't he give us rounders too? They're going to make that movie, I bet. I would I would put good money on that. But uh, but yeah, so then, yeah. So I I was, yeah, Billions is, billions is a phenomenal group of people and it's a fun time and yeah, and then it, it so so yeah, I've I've been lucky. I've been lucky. All right, so this show, how many nights a week? Six, six nights a week. I do my my night off is Monday, so I do basically eight shows a week. And it's Jesus, wild. and it's wild. Like it's you know, Rudd came the other night, and you know, it's uh, Broderick is coming this week. Like it's when you do it, Nathan Lane came. When you do the show in New York, it's. It really is like this, like everybody comes if, yeah. if if you, if the reviews are good and whatever, and people seem to like it, all these people come. So it's, it's surreal. I mean, I grew up, look, I'm a kid that grew up, I grew up near Holy Cross. I, I didn't grow <laughs> up near show business. Right. You know, so I, this is all so shocking to me. The idea well, that you'd, you'd ever meet these people, like you're talking about like who, who's a fan. It's like. I run into like John McEnroe at stuff sometimes. Like the idea, I grew up watching tennis. The idea that I would meet John McEnroe, I mean, you're talking about another planet. Right. Well, and also the reviews were great, which always helps. And yeah, it's helps. like, ah, oh, you can't care about the reviews. But then when the reviews are awesome, you're like, whoa, the reviews, look at this. I but know. I thought no, that I was cool. You got some, you got some glowing ones. So I'm sure it'll be on. I'm sure it'll be going for a while. When do you start thinking of the next thing? You have to finish this and then you take a break. And what's the process? I've been writing a movie for a few years. Uh, that's going to be my third movie. My first one was Sleepwalk with me. The second one was called Don't Think Twice, which is Keegan-Michael Key and Gillian Jacobs and a bunch of great folks. And then I'm writing my third movie right now. So that's that's the next thing that's on my on my mind. And then I have I have another solo show in my head that, who knows, could be up in two years. I mean, I, I pretty much have written it. So... I've written, awesome. a dra- I've written a draft of it. Yeah. All right. Well, good luck. Congrats on the show. I thought it was awesome. Thanks, People man. in New York, you should go see it. It's a, it's a good date too. It's a good date night. Well, it's definitely a conversation starter. Yeah. A little dinner, one man yeah. show, nice ride home, talking about some of the themes. Like what more could you ask for? Um, it means the world to me that you came, Bill. It's a, it's a big honor. No, it was great. I had an awesome time. Thank you for inviting me. Good to see you. Thanks for coming on the pod finally. Thank um, you. And I hope you crush it with the show. Thank you so much, Bill. All right, that's it for the podcast. Thanks to Mike and Peter and Ben. And thanks to Kyle Creighton for producing this episode. As always, I hope you all enjoy Thanksgiving. I hope you enjoy the family time. I know we will, especially this year. Um, hope you enjoy the football and the food and the World Cup, and uh, the Black Friday shopping and everything else. Uh, I'm glad we got to the tail end of November. It's great. Last but not least, my dad is turning 75 this weekend. Holy mackerel. I can't believe he got there. 
I thought the Red Sox were going to kill him like 19 times, but it didn't happen. Um, 75 and thriving. Saw him last weekend. Happy birthday, Dad. And I will see you on this feed on Sunday. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.